All right, my recollection was we're going to go ahead and get the uh, state class witness on the stand. After the direct examination, we're going to have some discussion, so we'll take a break after that. Is that uh, correct recollection? Yes, sir. Here? All right. Yes, sir. All right, so state ready? Yes, sir. Is that ready? Yes, sir. Let's bring in the jury. Jury is present and seated. Everyone else ready to see at this time. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good morning and welcome back. Hope everyone had a nice evening. We're going to pick up where we left off in just a moment. You know, though, every time you leave the courtroom and you come back, I ask you a question or three questions, a three-part question. It's exposure, discussion, or research related to the case. If any of you have done any of those three things, been exposed to any reports about the case, did any research about the case, or discussed the case with anybody, including amongst yourselves, please raise your hand at this time so that we can discuss it. Let the record reflect there are no hands. Again, thank you all very much. Um, as promised, we will pick up where we left off. I'll ask the state to call your next witness. State of call Joseph Carey. Joseph Carey. Mr. Carey, good morning and welcome. If you'll come forward, sir, be sworn wherever you're comfortable. If you'll face me and raise your right hand. Thank you. Do you swear or affirm any testimony you give in this proceeding will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Thank you, sir. If you'll follow the bailiff around to the ramp that leads up to the witness chair, please watch your step. When you get to the chair, go ahead and have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. That microphone does adjust. Good morning, Mr. Carey. If you could please tell the jury your name and spell your last name for the court reporter. Uh, good morning. Joseph Carey, C-A-R-E-Y. And uh, Mr. Carey, where do you currently live? I live at uh, University Place, Washington State. All right, where? I'm sorry, Washington State? Washington State, yeah. Okay, University. University Place, where is that? Uh, it's outside of Tacoma, right by uh, where I work. It's a uh, joint base, Lewis McCord. And who do you live with there? My wife and two kids. And you said near an Air Force base. Where are you currently employed? I'm in the United States Air Force. I work at Joint Base Lewis McCord. And what do you do for the United States Air Force? Uh, I work for NORAD, um, the Weapons and Tactics Office over there. Um, I'm a Master Sergeant working there. How long have you been with the United States Air Force? Uh, since 2001. <clears throat> do you know the defendant in this case, Nicole Notton? Yes. And how do you know her? She's my sister. Or is she your is she a full sister or a half sister? A uh, half sister. Do you all share the same mother or the same father? Same mother. Okay. So the victim in this case, Miriam Deans, was your mother. Correct. And how old are you now, Mr. Carey? Thirty-six. Thirty-six. Okay. Um, so there's a there's a significant uh, age difference between you and your sister. Yes. Do you, do you know about how many years apart you all are, as far as age goes? Uh, about 12 years. She was born in 94, and I'm in 82. So. Who was your father? Uh, also Joseph Carey. Okay. Is he still alive? No. How long ago did he pass? Uh, a couple months or two or three months before my mother. And how did he pass, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, he committed suicide. Uh, now, when your mom and dad, uh, did you ever did you ever live with them when they lived together? Yes. How old were you about when they divorced? 
12 years old, I remember, was the deciding factor when we were in court in Houston. I got to say who I wanted to live with. So I remember 12 years old was, at least in the state of Texas, that's where you could decide. So I remember that pretty clearly. So okay. I would say around 12 years old. So that was in Texas? Yes. And you chose to live with your mom? Yes. Um, if uh, if you can get closer to the microphone, let's just make sure that it's on. Jerry's having difficulty. Yeah. Uh, is that better? Oh, yeah, I can hear. Other than Miss Notman, do you have any other siblings? I had a brother, okay. a full brother. What was he, his name? Uh, Kevin Carey. Kevin Carey. Was he younger or older than you? He was younger by about a year and a half. All right, and you said it. You had, so I take it he's no longer alive. No, he passed in a car accident. How long ago was that? 2003. Now, you stated there was an age difference of about 12 or 13 years between you and Miss Stockman. Um, when she was born, were you still living with your mother? Yes. Right, and you were, I guess, about, obviously, 12 or 13 at that time? Yes. <clears throat> and um, did you all live together during those early years when, when Miss Stockman was a baby? Yes. Did there come a time when you stopped uh, living with your mother and stayed uh, instead with your grandmother? Yes. How old was Nicole at that time? Let's see, I went to uh, high school in Tampa um, in around 96, 97. So my sister was probably three or four. Okay, so at three or four years old, um, you chose while you were in high school to live, stay in Tampa. Why, why, what was the reason behind that? So after, without too much background, I guess, but after the mess that I call Houston when we were in the living condition there with my dad and everything, uh, we finally were able to leave that place and my sister's uh, biological father. The legal mess that we were in, the problems we had there, and when we finally got back to where all my family was, and I felt a lot better being back here, um, my mom wanted to immediately go back to Virginia where she owned a house and to me, that was just a huge mistake, and it was just kind of getting away from our foundation of family and being together and helping each other out. So I just immediately thought it was going to be a mess again. So I wanted to stay where I was happy. Okay, and so you were happy here in Tampa, mm -hmm. and you were happy in high school. Yes. And you didn't want to leave. No. So you chose, and, and your and your grandmother was okay with you living with her. Yes. So Nicole was about three or four when when your mom. Um, moved with her to Virginia. Is that right? Yes. Was that about the last period in time when you were actually living with uh, Nicole Notman on a continuous basis? Yes. Aside from the fact you all weren't living together, did you all still remain close, visit, see each other from time to time? Yes. Talk via phone from time to time? Yes. When your mother was in Virginia, is that where she met uh, Robert Deans? Yes. All right. and, and again, you were still down here with, with uh, so you weren't, weren't present when she met him and was dating him and eventually got married to him, is that right? Correct. Now you stated you joined the Air Force in 2001? Yes. Uh, about how, how long after you had graduated from high school did you join the Air Force? Then immediately, I think maybe there was a month or two between graduation and going to boot camp. And you've been at the Air Force since? Yes. So where were you first stationed when you joined the Air Force? 
Hill Air Force Base, Utah. How long were you in Utah? Uh, almost two years. <coughs> and again, while you were in the Air Force, did you still maintain contact with Nicole Nottman? Yes. And as she grew older, would she come and visit and stay with you from time to time? Yes. And when she was there, would she talk to you about things that are going on in her life? Yes. Did she seem to enjoy the visits that she had with you? Yes. Did you feel at that time that you all were close? Yes. Now, Robert Deans, did you know him very well? Not very well, no. About how many times do you think in total you saw um, Mr. Deans throughout um, after your mom married him? I'd say a handful of times, four or five times. Now, when you would visit uh, uh, Nicole, did um, with the mom, with your mom, did everything seem normal? Did you see any sort of fighting or loud arguing when you were there? Uh, between who? Say that again. Just the family. Did you see any strife or anything that caused you concern? No, nothing that caused concern. No. In the summer of uh, 2015, did you see Nicole at all that summer? Yes. Right, when did you see her? The summer, where uh, after, but before the incident. Um, what, uh, did you see her here in Tampa or where, or where was she? No, I was living in uh, Washington State. She visited me out there. Now, were you already married by then? Yes. And you already had your kids? Yes. Okay. And um, how long did she stay with you that summer of 2015? Uh, three weeks to a month, somewhere in that area. While she was there that summer of 2015, did she ever discuss any issues with you about your mom? Nothing out of the ordinary. Okay. Nothing just typical. Did she ever mention to you that she was concerned about your mom or concerned about their relationship or anything that she was worried about? No. Did, um, did she ever discuss with you any issues at school or things that were going on at school, problems she was dealing with at school? I mean, uh, on that specific visit, I don't remember typical, typical problems, you know, bullying or whatever. Okay, so she didn't. She did confide in you some things, but anything that caused you alar alarm or concern at that point? No. And what was your understanding as to where she would be going in the fall? Uh, Florida State University. Was that the last time you saw Nicole Nottingham before the homicides? Yes. Tell me, Mr. Kerr, when, when was the first time you heard about these murders? I was coming off of mid-shift, which is uh, 12-hour shifts we do at my job, where uh, it's like 6.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. And uh, got out around 6.30 a.m. and got to my car, and I saw uh, missed phone calls and text messages. And I called back, and it was uh, my Uncle Eric, and he was crying, and he told me that I thought it was my grandma immediately because he lives in the same area. And she's older, so I thought maybe something happened to my grandma, and then he was crying, and he said, no, it's your mom, and that's when I found out. Okay. So when you're on these shifts, you can't have your phone with you? And you can't have phone in the building. Okay. So um, you get this call from your Uncle Eric, and he informs you that, that your mom uh, has passed. Um, did he mention Robert at all? Yes. Um, the rumor in the beginning that was... Check to hearsay? 
Also, staying at this time, I'll uh, caution the witness not to testify what somebody else said to you unless uh, specifically asked and we have a discussion that I allow. Without saying what was said to you, what was your understanding or belief or at that time in your own mind as to what possibly had occurred? The understanding was that it was a murder-suicide that uh, Bob had killed my mom and was found with a gun in his hand in his chair and he had killed himself. And that's kind of what you had just interpreted from hearing things and then that's what your belief was? Yes. So what did you do at that time? Um, at the time I was living on base, so it was a two-minute drive to my house. So I remember driving home um, to get a, you know, to stay on the phone and get a better understanding of what was going on. Um, and then I wanted to call my sister. And I, I asked my uncle, did anybody call my sister and let her know? And they said that they told her um, that she had been in an accident and we didn't know her status because we didn't want her driving from Tallahassee to Tampa knowing that her mom died. We were worried of her driving condition. So um, I called my sister to let her know that, you know, we all love you. Don't worry about it. Just get to Tampa. We'll figure things out. Okay, so your your immediate concern at that time was for your sister and her well-being. Yes. Yeah. All right. And so as you got home, so that's your first your first conversation with your sister? Yes. How did she sound when you talked to her? Um, if I remember correctly, it was like a lower voice, um, maybe a little bit upset. Okay. And in that conversation, did she say anything to you that you recall specifically? Uh, in that first phone call, no. It was more just receiving the information from me. And I think she had already talked to some of my uncles before I had called her, too. So she had already been given the news. And so, according to what you just said, your, your, your purpose of that phone call is just to put her at ease, to let her know that she, you had family and you were coming there and everything's right. going to be okay. Yeah, she's not alone. She's surrounded yeah. by family and everything's going to be fine. And uh, you said that you got off at 6.30, so it, what, about what time did you call her from your base? Somewhere around probably 6.45 to 7. Okay, about what time, uh, East Coast time, would that have been? 11-ish. Um, yeah, let's say around 11 o'clock. Okay. Now, when you called her that first time and told her that y'all would be there for... Sorry, about that's 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock? Okay. 10 o'clock. Okay. Sorry. So when you called her that first time, um, and, and did you tell her uh, at that time that her mother was, was dead? No, not yet. Okay. So what happens next? So after I talked to my sister and you know told her I'm working on coming down, um, I start getting on a computer to see if I can buy a plane ticket to come to Florida. Um, so I'm searching on the internet, and then my sister calls me back, and I, I answered the phone. I told her, hey, Nikki, listen, I'll talk to you in a minute. I just need to get this ticket. There was only one or two left because I didn't want to blow her off, you know, you know, half talk to her and half focus on something else. I wanted to give her all the attention. So I said, let me call you back. Give me like 10, 15 minutes. So we hung up. Let me ask you, what was her demeanor when she called you back that time? How did she sound? She sounded normal. Like, hey, Joey, you know. Right. And so you, you told her you'd call her back because yeah. you were in the process of purchasing a ticket? Yes. 
And did you call her back? I did. All right, tell us about that. How long after she called you did you call her back? I guess it was about 15 minutes or so. I went to the couch and sat down because I had a feeling it was probably going to be a longer call. So I can, if she's calling me back, my mindset was she needed to talk. So I wanted to dedicate time to talking. So I went to the couch to sit down and talk to her. Okay. And when you, when you called her back, what does she say to you first? Uh, so I answer, or she answers, and says, hey, Nikki, just, you know, just want to let you know again, we love you, miss you, we're going to see you soon. And then she got quiet, she said, oh, I need, I'm sorry, one of the jurors is still having trouble. Oh. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so, you know, I started off with the normal chit-chat, you know, love you, we'll see you soon. And then she just was quiet for a second, and then she said, I'm going to miss you, Joey. Just like that, just very matter of fact, yep. I'm going to miss you, Joey? Yep. All right. What did you think when you heard her say that? I didn't know what she meant the first time she said it. Um, and I don't think I made sense of it just yet. And I said, what? You know, something like, say that again or what? She's like, I'm just going to miss you. And I said, what do you mean? And then at this point, saying it out loud sounds weird, but I was thinking maybe she was thinking of hurting herself because she's, her mom's gone. So, um, but I didn't want to put words in her mouth, and I was like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, I want to say I said, are you thinking you're hurting yourself now at this point? And she said, no, I don't think I'd do that. And I said, so what do you mean by that? And then she got quiet again, and then she says, I shot him. I said, you did what? Like, I shot, I shot mom and Bob. I said, and I remember leaning forward. I remember leaning forward on the couch. And saying it again, it's like, what do you mean you shot mom, Bob? It's like, why'd you do that? Or something to that effect. And she just started crying um, really bad and talking really fast. And I couldn't understand what she was saying. I was trying to calm her down. And uh, eventually I was trying to get her to calm down and make sense of what she's saying. And... Um, Eventually she got to the point where she was explaining that ever since she got back from um, London, her school trip, that she's had um, uncontrollable screaming in her head and like a high-pitched screaming and that um, it was affecting her sleep and she was having nightmares from it. And then um, I tried to calm her down some more and then she said, if I had only gotten the good news phone call about the dorms earlier, if I only got the good news phone call about the dorms earlier, I wouldn't have had to do it. And I didn't know what she meant by that. I didn't know anything about the dorm situation. I didn't, I didn't know what she was meaning by that. And then she said something that I remember, was, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry I had to do it, but I'm not sorry that I did it, but I'm sorry I had to do it. Um, and then she was, you know, more crying and things like that. And then I remember thinking to myself, well, I need to, I don't know what to do now. So um, I'm gonna call my family and have them help me think correctly about this. Right, now let's, I want to go, go through this carefully because there were other things she said to you, so let's, I want to make yeah. sure we get everything out that, that she said to you at that time. So you talked about the screaming in her head, the good news about the dorm room. Um, what did she tell you specifically about shooting Bob? Yeah, um, she said, and then she went into like a whisper, and she was like, I didn't think I could do it, Joey. I didn't think I could do it, but I shot Bob. I didn't think I could do it. And it was just weird because it was in a whisper and it almost sounded like she was proud of herself. Um, 
I know there was more being said, and I'm sorry. I'm just. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'll. I'll did she? Um, did she mention anything about what happened when your when your mom arrived? When your mom arrived. So okay. So she she described um, after she shot Bob that a lot of the screaming went away in her head. It didn't go away all the way, but it went away a lot. And then she described she went up to her dorm, and she was hanging out in the dorm. stairwell saying, you know, your dreams are almost realized, keep going, things like that, like motivational posters. And she took that as a sign from God to go back and finish the job. So then she told me she went back to Tampa and she waited in the house overnight for my mom. And then when my mom got home, she said that she got cold feet the last second. She wanted to get out of the house. So she mistimed it. She jumped out of the window to not meet my mom. So my mom was walking in the house, and she wanted to jump out of the window and just time it to where she would miss her. And she mistimed it and ran into my mom. And she said, my mom said, Nikki, what the fuck are you doing here? And she said she blacked out, and somehow she knows she did it. And then I don't remember if she said she was in the car driving or she was getting to the car to drive away. Did she ever mention anything about you calling her an animal or something along those lines? Um, she said, she said you can call me a beast, but don't call me a monster or something like that. How, how did the conversation end? Um, I just remember saying, like, why did you have to do that? You had options. You, you could have called your uncle. You could have called your grandma. You could have called me. Why did you have to do that? And, and um, I don't know what she said. You just kept crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right. Would you like a, a glass of water, a cup of water? <clears throat> uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. So uh, then I hung up and called my family back to find out. <laughs> I remember saying, like, are we angry at her? Are we trying to help her? What do we... Uh, Help me think straight. What do I do? And I think I was talking to my Uncle Kenny, and it's either my Uncle Eric or Kenny, I can't remember, but they talked about it for a while and they said, We're going to try and help her. And then um, I said, Okay. And then I called her back and said, Listen, somewhere in the process here, I, I knew that they were sending a detective up to, to talk to her. And I said, Listen, when, you, when they get up there, just tell them you want a lawyer, not to. Don't say anything. And that's what I said. We love you. I don't know when I'm going to talk to you again. And that was it. Did law enforcement, after you called your uncles and told them what Nicole had told you, did law enforcement ever contact you? Yes. All right. And did they ask you what Nicole had told you? Yes. And what did you tell them at first? Um, at first, uh, you know, I asked if, if she was going to get a lawyer. I mean, I have to say anything also. And they said, yes, it doesn't extend to me. So I told them everything that she told me. I told them the story that I remembered her telling me. Okay. And that was a, a detective from, uh, from Tampa who called you initially? Yes. And did you ever meet with an OSI agent from the base and give them the same story about what happened? Yeah, the detective told me 
I need to get a I need to go over the OSI now or pretty soon he had to make arrangements to meet an agent there so that you know they can document the story and all that. So I met with the agent shortly thereafter. And did you eventually meet with the lead detective in this case, Detective Mitchell Messer, and, and tell him what occurred? Um, yeah, in person when I ended up flying to Tampa. When, when's the next time you hear or talk to your sister after that? I think the next time is literally the visitation before I left town to go back home um, at the jail. All right, so you went and visited her at the jail? Yes. And how does she seem when you were talking to her at the jail? Like very happy, very, um, like, like nothing was wrong. Like she felt great. She was smiling and giddy. Aside from that visit, did you visit her, her or talk to her again? There was a couple more, two or three more phone calls uh, after I returned back home through the, the jail service. Are you still in contact with her? Objection to relevance. Approach. So you said um, you get, maybe talked to her two or three more times after that visit. Um, have you talked to her since then? No. to these murders and, and all your contacts with your sister, did she ever indicate there were any serious problems at the house? No. And if she had, would you try to help her? Yes. If I may have one moment? So please do not discuss the case amongst yourselves or with anyone else. Please do not do any research related to the case, and please avoid any uh, exposure to uh, any media reports of the case. All rise for the jury. Everyone may be seated. Sir, you may step down. I'm going to discuss some legal issues with the attorney. Um, please do not discuss your testimony with anyone. Yeah, I'll ask um, just while we discuss these legal issues. Thank you, sir. Terry was not going to let me get into um, the childhood and things of abuse. However, that was clearly opened up on direct, so I don't think that's an issue as far as the childhood, why he ran away, um, and the child, you know, the home life of Miss Hopkins. Clearly, he went into that, so I don't think that's the issue. As far as, Judge, and I will say, as far as what he observed with his mom and Nicole, not as far as what he had experienced with his own mom, I think that's irrelevant. That doesn't go to her battered child syndrome. 
but it goes to the atmosphere she grew up in. So you can be a battered child for many reasons. So her brother runs away at 16 is what he's going to say. And he already testified to it because of the stress of what's going on. His mom at the time is going through a divorce from his biological father and at the same time going through a custody battle with Nicole. She's in that environment. It's absolutely relevant. And it was already elicited on direct. So to now limit what I can ask about that is clearly prejudicial. With regard to, I guess, so my concern is I believe all of her childhood and everything now comes in because Mr. Terry went into it. The issue now is whether he can now testify to specific acts of abuse or violence, whether it be psychological or physical, that either he witnessed his mom commit against Nicole. Against Nicole. Correct. And that's what I intend on asking. So it's going to be questions about, you know, the belittling, the liposuction, things that, you know, the mom um, made Nicole do as it relates to what he observed. Well, let me ask, uh, Mr. Terry, you did ask him, was there any fighting? Did you witness any fighting between Nicole or the mother? Did everything seem normal? Did she discuss anything with you about her relationship with her mom? And then your final question to him was, prior to the murder, did you ever um, something, any serious problems at the house? Did you ever observe something? I can't read my hand right But you asked the question, prior to the murder, um, did you ever something, any serious problems at the house? Doesn't that open the door to them if they have specific instances? Judge, I was just trying to point out that there was nothing he could see, that she never told him anything, no, any reason why she would have done this. That's all. I wasn't really getting into any abuse he witnessed, any abuse she suffered. Just did she ever indicate any reason why she would have done this, any, any problems going on that she would have caused her to kill her mother? Judge, here's the difference, and this is what needs to be elicited, and I believe Mr. Carey, as previously testified to, will say all these things. To Mr. Carey, and he'll say this, I didn't consider it abuse because I was a strong person and I got out. I could stand up to my mom. What he's going to say is that his mom would say that their children are a disgrace to them. So in his eyes, when he says things are normal or okay, they were normal or okay to him because he left at 18, he went into the military, and he was able to stand up to his mom. But he has previously testified under oath that his, his mom would say that their children were a disgrace, that he would belittle Nicole. I mean, that she would belittle Nicole, that uh, she would comment on her weight, that she made her get liposuction. So, again, the way Mr. Terry characterized the questions to Joseph was, again, trying to paint this perfect uh, picture, which is at all not the case. I'm not going to ask anything that I don't believe he's going to, again, I don't plan on eliciting facts that I don't believe he's previously testified to. These are all things that he's previously testified to and that he observed. And, Judge, most of my questions were intending to, since you've already let in much stuff, as you said, because of the insanity, I felt like I had to at least ask those questions whether or not he noticed anything from Nicole that would give him concern, that anything that she was saying to him that would cause him concern as far as what was going on in the household. But let me ask you, I mean, how do I, how do I limit the cross if the question to him is that everything seemed normal between Nicole and the mother, how do I limit the cross to go into things that may imply that things weren't normal? Judge, as far as... They, they, you've already you've already ruled and, and against the state's position. That's the reason I ask these questions ahead of time. You've already ruled that a lot of this stuff, the liposuction, the all of that stuff, that can come in under the insanity because the doctors relied on it. That's what you ruled earlier. Well, I hadn't read the depo yet. I, I, I have made some rulings. I'd have to go back to see specifically, but I did say that now that they have the insanity defense and they have a different doctor, that whatever that doctor relies on for the insanity defense. 
most likely I'm going to have to allow in. I read his deposition last night, and he talks about diagnosing her with schizophrenia, um, hallucinations, delusional, and he says that it started, the symptomology started at that third grade. So it does. The, the insanity expert um, opens that door. So I agree with you. Whether I ruled that previously or not, I, I know where we're going to go with that and, and what I'm going to have to allow. But I just, I'm concerned now about what limitations I place on them on cross. For example, if she want, if the testimony thus far on direct is there were, um, I never observed any fighting or anything abnormal. Um, there was nothing to give me any concern. How do I limit the defense from bringing up things like, did your mother call um, Nicole worthless or whatever um, the previous testimony is? Just that's the thing. You know, cross is intended to go into any anything that is, and it can't be limited. If it was discussed on direct, there is no limitation on once the fact or the issue. You can't mislead a jury and leave it out there that everything was normal and then limit my ability again. Not in any way to elicit facts that have not been previously testified to, but these are things that Mr. Carey has previously discussed in either a deposition, an interview, and or his battered child syndrome hearing. And so, to me, you can't limit the cross now that those topics have been elicited by the state. Mr. Chair? Judge, I'm not asking you to limit it exclusively. What I'm saying is, Judge, I don't want it to be a feature. The your Honor, I've been put in a box here with this insanity defense because Your Honor has ruled that much of this, and in fact you told Ms. Holt this yesterday, much of the, uh, the same, all these same issues are going to come in because of insanity. And, and, and when, when their witness testified yesterday, you basically let everything in. You let all the hearsay in that, that so I've got to find a way to in some way confront the insanity, but, but I'm not willing to concede at all that the battered child syndrome and the self-defense applies. No, no, no. Nobody's at that point. Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm, I, I been, agree with you. So, so I've been put in a situation here, Judge, but based on your rulings yesterday with, the, with your own defense witnesses and what you allowed in, which was basically everything, that Nicole was scared of her mom, that Nicole and her mom fought. So all of those things came in already. So I felt like if I didn't mention it at least, or at least say that, did you see anything that caused you concern? Well, I, mean, I agree. I, I mean, honestly, so, you did anything right or wrong, or that you, but, but now... So, so whether it's based on the fact that you asked um, whether everything was normal or based on the fact that I've already ruled that they're going to be able to get into it, they're going to be, they, they have to be allowed on cross to question him about those. You thought it was normal, but didn't this happen? Didn't that happen? That, if he observed it. And that's fine, just okay. what he observed. And I, and I, and I understand that. And I'm not okay. going to, I'm not going to really argue that. But I am going to ask, Judge, that she not be asking him specific instances of abuse he suffered at the hands of his mom. Okay, because that's irrelevant to this charge. It's, all, it's only what, what Nicole suffered right. as a battered child syndrome, as according to them. Well, that's untrue. So if, in fact, Nicole knew about specific acts of violence that the mom inflicted on him, and I have case law on that but issue. But how is he going to be able to testify that Nicole knew? He, he's going to say they discussed it. I asked him in our trial prep. prep that specific question before I asked about specific acts of violence, and Nicole knew about things his mom had done to him. That absolutely goes to self-defense. There's two types, two ways you can um, well, elicit we, character evidence, and I understand the self-defense. Self but I don't want him to think that they they're not coming in at all. If we end up at self-defense, I believe we're not there yet, so they're not coming period. in now. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. I think we're all right. Um, I don't know if there's anything uh, that we need to uh, discuss with him.
I don't believe so, Judge. All right. So let's bring the jury back in and uh, do the cross-examination. Bring the witness. Let's bring the witness in first. Yes, thank you. Albert Bryant, bring in the witness. Bring it back to witness. <clears throat> Just to clarify the court's ruling, because Mr. Carey asked about his biological father and the fact that he committed suicide, Joseph's biological father, he was physically abusive in the home. And I want to make sure if that's fair game or not. His biological father was abusive to him and part of the turmoil that's going on. And then the biological father was elicited on direct eventually committed suicide. What does that have to do with Nicole? Was Nicole, it was well, abusive Well, because the divorce, Nicole. okay, so why he runs away? This divorce and all the turmoil that's happening is after she's born. She's an infant judge. She doesn't know anything about all that. I mean, that's, that's, it's such a stretch to try and put that and then have Nicole testify about her to know anything about that. The, the point is, why he ran away is twofold. His father, he didn't, his father was physically abusive to him, and he wanted to get out of the turmoil of this divorce. I don't want it to make it, Mr. Um, Terry almost made it look like he chose to live with Grandma because he wanted to live in Tampa and not... Virginia. He chose to live with grandma because his father was physically abusive and his mom was in the process of divorcing his father and at the same time in a custody battle with Nicole's biological father. That's the relevance. And I, I'm not going to ask about specific, what did your dad do, but he was physically abusive in the home. Again, Judge, I don't think how that, I can't see how that goes to Nicole's insanity defense or to her battered child syndrome defense. I don't, I don't see the, the connection at all. It may, it may have something to do with him, but it has nothing to do with anything to do with, with this case or with Nicole Nachman. I, I agree. I don't see the relevance of... Um, he's testified that there was a mess. Um, I mean, if you want to reiterate with that, him, but go to the specific of that the father was physically abusive to him when there's no indication that um, that is any way related to Nicole. I, I don't see... No. Well, Judge, sure. part of the issue, too, would go to his credit. You know, again, I, I don't plan on, I hope I don't have to impeach him on any issue, but why you left and why you ran away at 16 was for those very reasons. His father was physically, it wasn't I came to Tampa because I just wanted to be around my family. He wanted to get away from the chaos of his home with his mother, who was at the same time in a divorce with his biological father because of physical abuse and because of the custody well, well, here's what so you it is do. the environment. Here's what you can do. I mean, because Mr. Terry, you, you did get that out. He did testify about moving. You can ask him specifically on cross why, um, what are the reasons why you um, stayed with, his, with the grandmother. Okay. And let's see what he says. Okay. Let's bring him back in. Mr. Terry, welcome back. I'm going to put you back on the witness stand before we bring the uh, jury in. Stay ready? Yes, sir. Defense ready? Yes. Let's bring in the jury. Yes. All rise for the jury. 
jury is present and seated. Everyone else may be seated at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, the jury, welcome back. You know, I have to ask, did anyone have any exposure to the case, discuss the case, or do any research related to the case during the last break? Let the record reflect there are no hands. Thank you all again. You may proceed to cross-examination. Thank you, Judge. Good morning, Mr. Perry. Good morning. So your mom had three children, uh, you, Kevin, and Nicole. Yes. Uh, you were the oldest. Yes. And Nicole was the youngest, obviously. Yes. You had indicated on direct that there was about a 12-year age difference between you and Nicole. Yes. And then Kevin and you were about a year apart. Yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. You had indicated your father committed suicide shortly before your mom's death in 2015. Yes. Now, your brother Kevin, who was born, I guess, in 1984, died in a car accident in 2003. Yes. And that would have been when Nicole was about six or seven? I trust you, yes. What year do you recall Nicole being born? 94. Okay. Now, Nicole's biological, you had indicated on direct, you and Nicole had different fathers. Yes. Nicole's biological father is an individual by the name of Ronald Nachman. Yes. And your mom had met Mr. Nachman in Texas when you all lived there. Correct. And at the time of her relationship with Nicole's biological father, she was in the midst of divorcing your biological father, who is also named Joseph Carey. Yes. And this was all happening in Texas when Nicole was very young. Yes. I think you said your mom and your father, at least the divorce started about when you were 12. So it would have been right around the time Nicole was born or shortly after. Uh, yes, I think 12, 12 was about when I was ending because I think my decision, whatever, was kind of on the tail end of it all. Now, you've described that divorce and that custody, custody battle as pretty nasty. Yes. This wasn't um, a typical divorce or a divorce where maybe visitation and things were agreed upon and things were uh, cordial between the parties. Would you agree with that? No, they didn't like each other. I mean, we had visitation and things like that, but it was a legal battle for sure. And it was a legal battle both between your mom and your biological father for the divorce, but also a legal battle between your mom and Nicole's father, Ronald Nachman, about her custody situation yes. with Nicole, correct? Yes. And this, again, is while Nicole's a very young child. Yes. You'd agree your mom was tough on you growing up? Yes. She would get angry if you or her children did not meet her expectations? Yes. She would belittle her children? At times, yeah. Call them a disgrace at times? Yes. Now, your mom and Ronald Nachman, Nicole's father, weren't together very long. No. So, Nicole is born in 1994, and this custody battle and all of this turmoil begins pretty early in Nicole's life. Yes. In fact, as a child, you remember your mom and Ronald Nachman living together for a very short period of time in the home with you, your brother, and Nicole. Yes. But they lived in separate rooms. Yeah, he had his own room. And that was kind of weird to you? Yes. And then after Nicole's birth in 1994, there's a lot of arguing going on in that home before Ronald Nachman eventually moves out. Yes. 
arguing to the point where your mom and Ronald Nachman would get in each other's face sometimes. Yes. While Nicole was there. Yes. You also remember your mom becoming physical with Ronald while Nicole was there. Pushing? Uh, yeah, I think I remember pushing, yeah. So then Ronald Nachman and your mom's relationship is short-lived. She's at the same time going through the divorce with your biological dad, and Ronald Nachman moves out. Yes. Is that how you remember it? Yes. Is it fair to say the custody battle between your mom and Ronald Nachman over visitation for Nicole pretty much went on through most of her childhood? Yes. And ultimately, your mom obtains sole custody of Nicole, and Ronald Nachman is completely eliminated from your sister's life? Yes. In fact, your memory of that time in Texas, and again, you're older, 12 years older than Nicole, that time when all this is happening between your mom and Ronald and your mom and your biological father was an absolute mess. Yes. Filled with a lot of stress. Yes. That's when I believe you testified on direct as your mom is about to move from Texas to Virginia, you decide you're coming to Tampa to live with grandma. Mm -hmm. yes. Is that a yes? You didn't, it wasn't really just a, like a decision that the family agreed upon. You actually ran away from your home with your mother, correct? Yes. Okay. So this wasn't, hey, mom, I think it would be better for me to live with grandma if that's okay. This was, I'm running away and I'm not coming with you to Virginia. Yeah, it started off with me just saying I want to stay here and she didn't want that. So eventually I just said I'm staying here. And you actually physically got out of the car and ran away. <clears throat> yes. Now, at the time you run away from your mom's home, Nicole is only two or three years old at this point. Yes. So while you could stand up to your mom or indicate to your mom, I'm going, regardless of what you say, at three years old, Nicole didn't have a choice, did she? No. Now, you begin attending high school in Tampa while living with your grandmother. Yes. And at the same time, Nicole is up in Virginia living with your mom alone at this point. Yes. Because Kevin has already passed by then. Or no. Do you, no. Kevin's still there. Kevin's still there. So Kevin and Nicole are in Virginia together, and it's about 1996 or 97 when you run away to live in Tampa with your grandmother. Yes. And then you never lived with your mom again after that period of time. No. So at this point, when you run away and choose to live with your grandmother, you're about 15 and Nicole's about three. Is that your recollection of the ages? Yes. So it's fair to say when Nicole's three, four, five, six years old, seven years old, all the way up until college, you never lived in the same home again with Nicole and your mother? No. Because after you ran away at 15, you stayed with your grandmother, finished high school, and then went to the Air Force, I believe, right after high school, you said. Right. Your brother, Kevin, prior to his death, had also left home to go into the military at age 18. Isn't that right? Yes. 
Is it fair to say that during your childhood, or at least most of your childhood, you had your brother Kevin to lean on? Yes. You all were close in age, a year or so apart. Yes. But by the time all of this is happening and you've run away, Kevin's joined the military, Nicole's pretty much by herself. Yes. Let's talk about your sister as a child. You remember her as an outgoing kid yes. when she was little. Loved to dance. Yep. Sing. Yes. Put on shows for everybody. Is that fair? To, is that a fair description of your sister when she was little? Yes. I want to show you what's been marked as Defense Exhibit 3A and 3B, and tell me if you recognize these photos and what they are. Yeah, pictures of us. Is that what you remember Nicole being as a young child, happy, the way you just described her? Yes. Judge, at this time I'd introduce Defense Exhibit 3A and 3B. Any objections at this time? No objections. Permission to publish? You may publish. Tell us who's in this photograph. Uh, on the left, my friend Jeff, uh, my sister on my lap, and then my brother Kevin. If you know, and I know it's hard to look at pictures, but about how old do you think Nicole is in this picture? I'm guessing about two or three. Defense 3B. Who's that? Myself and my sister. About how old do you think maybe she is there? Yes, four, three or four. Sorry. So as a young child, you remember Nicole what we see in those photographs, a happy kid. And then at some point, you see a change in her. What About what grade do you recall the change happening where Nicole just wasn't that bubbly, happy kid anymore? I'd say around uh, middle school. And when you say middle school, because middle school can mean different things for different people, elementary, middle, like about what sixth grade? Sixth grade, I think. Describe for the jury what kind of changes you began to see in Nicole around that time. Um, she became very introverted. Um, not outgoing at all. She was, she used to sing and dance in front of strangers. She just stopped doing that. Um, she started dressing just much more conservatively and, you know, flat colors. She wasn't wearing the bright colors and things like that that she used to. Um, pretty quiet, kind of escaped to her. I remember, she, I don't know if she had a laptop back then, but, you know, she was always drawing things and things like that and would kind of just go to that. What about her feelings about her self-image or self-conscious? Yeah, very, what I took is low self-esteem, um, very low self-esteem. Let's talk about middle school and on. Do you recall Nicole ever having friends where, you know, you heard she had a sleepover maybe? And I know you're not living in the home, but you had indicated you're still having direct contact with both Nicole and your mom at times. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, and we're talking about middle school still? Well, okay. at any point, ever remember Nicole talking about, you know, friends she's having over for sleepovers or birthday parties or anything like that? Anything you remember about friends? I uh, do. She had one go-to friend a lot, and uh, I don't remember her name or anything, but there was basically one friend. That one I friend her entire childhood as you remember it? Yes. Now, at some point when you notice the changes that you've just described in Nicole, um, and maybe, you know, this issue about friends or not having friends, 
Was she also reporting anything about bullying or people picking on her at school? Yeah. Yes. And did you, in fact, bring that up to the family? Because now you're not living in Tampa, but did you bring up your concerns or your observations to family members? About the bullying specifically or her her In general, I'm seeing things different in my sister, whether it be the bullying, the self-conscious. Did you tell anybody in the family? Uh, yes. Okay. And your mom's response? Uh, she just needs to work on her self-esteem. No objection, hearsay. I'll sustain as to the specific, uh, don't testify to what someone else said. Did your mom get her any counseling? Uh, nothing enough. Did your mom intervene or uh, attempt to address the issues that you voiced to her about the observations you were making about your sister as you sit here today? Uh, nothing enough. You, in fact, used the word counseling when describing your concerns to the family. Isn't that right? That she needed counseling. Yeah, I, I might have said see someone or talk to somebody. Yeah. Which is could be counseling. It could be a guidance counselor. It could be anybody. Right. And again, no, as you sit here today, you're not aware of either your mother, your grandmother, or anyone in the family. And I understand you're away. Actually taking that step after your recommendation and actually taking Nicole to see somebody or have her talk to somebody. Nothing enough. Do you know how many different schools your sister went to? Uh, yeah, 14 or 13. And we're talking about not counting FSU, but 13 different schools from age, when you start kindergarten at five until you graduate high school, let's say 18. Right. That's 13 years of life and 13 different schools your sister attended. Yes. Is it fair to say when your mom wanted your sister to do something, she did it? Yes. Was your sister someone who was good at speaking up or going against your mom or would do as your mom said? Um, usually just do what my mom said. Did the phrase, don't tell mom, become a common phrase your sister used with everybody? You, the family, don't tell mom. I don't want to say common, but she's told me a couple times, don't tell mom about whatever. As far as your mom's behavior towards your sister when it came to her weight or her appearance, you're aware that your mom had your sister get liposuction? Yes. And that was not because your sister was like grossly obese and weighed 300 pounds. Your sister's never been grossly obese, correct? No. Your mom made your sister get LASIK or was about to make her get LASIK? She wanted her to get LASIK, yeah. And as far as you understood, your sister was extremely nervous, scared, and, and not really wanting to get LASIK. Yeah, she didn't want anything touching her eyes. The fat shaming or the comments sometimes would come with regard to your sister's weight and, again, things you didn't understand because your sister wasn't obese? Um... I don't remember her making comments specifically about the weight, more just make sure she's running and you know eating properly and things like that.
So your sister would share with you that mom's making me run. I think so, yeah. And it was Miles. Yes. And you knew that to mean because of she, your mom believed she was overweight. Yes. And it's not like your sister was the athletic type, you'd agree? Right. She's not the track star or the runner who would run for enjoyment. Not that I know of. Now, at some point, your mom marries Bob, and I think it's in 2004. Yes. So Nicole would have been about 10? Yes. And you, in fact, didn't even meet Bob until after your mom and him had married. Correct. And this was all while they were living in Virginia? Yes. And they were obviously married until his death in 2015, so about 11 years. Yes. And you met Bob in those 11 years about four times? Yes. You knew nothing about Bob's family? Yeah. Never really saw Bob and your sister interact? No. It's not like Bob was taking an active role in the upbringing of your sister, as far as you knew. As far as I knew, yeah. Were you aware that your sister had her own apartment when she was 17 attending Sickles High School here in Tampa? No. You didn't know that until this case, is that correct? It might have been brought up that she was living in an apartment, but I probably just assumed my mom was there with her. But the fact that it was alone in an apartment by herself for her high school last year or so was not something that you were aware of? No. And. Your family, the Lears at least, your grandmother still lived in Tampa at the time. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yes. Bob lived in the house in Carrollwood at the time. I think so. And Eric and your uncles all were in Tampa, but yet your sister, for whatever reason, had an apartment by herself at, while she was at Sickles. Is that your understanding um, now? Yeah, everybody lived there. So everybody lived in Tampa, yet she was by herself in, the, in an apartment. And what I mean I'm by assuming herself, because that's what I've been told. I mean, I, I can't verify that. But. Now, when you were keeping in contact with Nicole for the visits that you described, where it would be summertime or things like that, again, she still was not, and I want to finish on through middle school and high school, she's still not that bubbly, happy kid you remember. No. At the times that you're interacting with her during those breaks, you're having to drag her places with your family. Yes. In fact, in 2011, which Nicole would have been about 17? 15 or 16, yeah. Okay. Uh, your mom actually wanted to send Nicole to live with you in New York. Yes. And that didn't happen? Correct. And why is that? Um, my mom wanted me to, she wanted her to live with me and I was all for it, but she wanted a very specific school district and a very specific 
uh, type of house and very specific type of neighborhood. And I was like, that's way more than I can afford. So um, I said, I can do it. I, I either need help or you're just going to have to let me go somewhere else that I can afford. And so ultimately she didn't come up with me. So that was in 2011 when your mom wanted to send Nicole to live with you up in New York. Yes. And where was your mom living at the time, or what was the reason she needed you to take Nicole? Honestly, I don't know if she was down in Tampa or she was in Virginia. And in fact, you and your mom didn't speak for several years after that because of that. A few years, yeah. And that was because you basically turned her down or refused to do what she asked you to do. I'm assuming. I never found out why she was upset. Well, common sense would say. It was the last thing we talked about, so. Yeah. Okay. Now, as far as your sister attending Florida State, um, based on the observations you had seen up to that point of Nicole, um, when you would visit, she's 18, getting ready to graduate high school and going off to college. From what you could observe, was she somebody who was capable of caring for herself away at school alone without any supervision? No. Was she someone who knew how to pay bills? No. Have the electricity turned on? No. Someone who could function in adult daily life up at college by herself? No. The times that she would visit you, would you have to actually tell her when to take a shower? Yes. And if you didn't, she would go days without showering? Yes. she gets to college, it's your understanding that your mom chose Nicole's degree, is that correct? Yes. And that this fear Nicole had of your mom about disappointing or meeting her expectations is still going on in college? Yes. It's not something that's gone away? Can you say the question again? I'm sorry. This fear your sister had, you had said earlier, of meeting your mom's expectations oh, or disappointing yes. or not, all that's still happening now when we're at Florida State and in college. You'd agree? Yes. Now, the summer before your mom and Bob's death, you had indicated your sister came to stay with you for about three weeks or a month. Yes. Mr. Terry had asked you whether Nicole during those few weeks had ever voiced any concerns to you. And I think your answer was just the typical concerns, bullying and things like that at school. I'm trying to remember. Usually that was nothing out of the ordinary, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well... Just to clarify, when you say out of the ordinary, to most people, bullying would be a big deal. You'd agree? Yes. When you say out of the ordinary, these are things your sister has endured her whole life. So for you, they're out of the ordinary. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't, I don't even know why I said bullying. I'm trying to think of any complaints specifically during that visit. And if, if I have a past comment, then sure, I just for some reason can't remember. Well, in college there. general, you were aware of bullying, like her roommates throwing her mattress in the hallway and oh, things like that? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, correct. But I guess what I'm trying to clarify is when you say Nicole's not voicing anything out of the ordinary, these were things she had endured and experienced pretty much her entire childhood. So to you, they were out of the ordinary. Yes. Because it was, oh, Nicole's getting bullied again. Her roommates are putting her stinky mattress out in the hallway. Yes. Okay.
The time that she's staying with you that summer, though, again, she's not bathing unless told to. Right. Correct? She would leave in the middle of the night and walk to, I guess, some store down where you live to buy, like, junk food. Yes. And you even had a comment or a discussion with her and said, Nicole, I'll go to the store and buy you what you want. Right. But in her mind, she had to go out in the middle of the night to get this snack or the, the, this food she wanted. Yeah, she didn't want to drive. She just wanted to walk and buy it herself. She would also then, after buying the junk food, despite you talking to her that it's okay, hide the wrappers. Yes. You also recall her using her laptop that visit in summer of 2015, correct? Yes. And at times you would hear or see her talking to it. It was just that one incident we were talking about where the laptop was open, I heard giggling, and I looked in, maybe some mumbling, but I just assumed she was talking to, talking out loud to whatever she was talking to online, like chat room or whatever. Now, as far as um, your mom and Bob's death, I want to move to that week. Um, and you had indicated earlier, so Nicole stayed with you about three weeks to a month and then came back to Tampa and stayed with your mom up until college was going to begin for the new semester. I think so, yes. And I believe you said, and I don't know if you said the date, if you remember what day that week is when you realize you have all the missed calls and texts from your family as if something was wrong. I don't remember the specific day. It was the morning of uh, that everything happened. So like the 21st of August? Sure. After Nicole had already gone to school and the same day of the yes. phone calls? Okay. Yes. Now, one of the things you understood from your family when you initially called them back, because your, your initial concern is Nicole. Yes. How is she going to handle this? How is she going to react? Yes. And so your understanding is your family had actually told Nicole that your mom was in an accident. Yes. And just because they didn't want her driving, thinking, I guess, there was a death in the family, and right. she may panic. So everyone is concerned about how Nicole is going to handle such a traumatic thing. Yeah, she's driving from Tallahassee. We don't want to give her bad news like that. And that's when you had indicated you start looking for flights um, for yourself and for Nicole from Tallahassee to Tampa. Yes. So you call your sister kind of initially just to discuss the travel and let her know, hey, listen, I'm looking for flights. Everything's going to be okay. Yes. And I think you testified when Mr. Terry asked you, now, when she answers the phone, her, her comment to you is when you say, are you okay, Nicole? So she now knows, or at least believes in your mind, mm -hmm. that your mom's been in some sort of accident. Correct. In your mind, she already knows that now people are making travel arrangements, so it must be serious. Uh, yes. Because you're not going to come from Washington if your mom has a, a scrape on her wrist, right? Well, I mean, I was still operating with, I, I'm pretending that I... Though there's an accident as well, and we don't know our status, but it's serious, so I just kind of played that role. My point is, even if you were to believe that Nicole believed it was an accident, it's serious because you're now making travel arrangements for her and you to fly there. Yes. And her response to that initial phone call is, hi, Joey, like everything's normal. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was, yeah, like that. And when I use the word normal... Not normal to someone who had just found out something was wrong. She was not acting normal. 
Not the under guy. the circumstances. Under the circumstances, correct. You then tell her, I'm going to call you back, Nicole, because you wanted to really spend time talking to her and making sure she was okay. Yes. And you want to continue looking at flights and get the flight before you lose the flight. Correct. So it's about 30 minutes or so when you call her back. Uh, 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, sure. And that's when she tells you, I'm going to miss you. Yes. You immediately go to, what is she talking about? Is she going to hurt herself, commit suicide, or do something like that? Right. And that's when she says, I did it, I shot him. And she says it in like a whisper voice. Yes. After she tells you that, she then begins crying hysterically. Yes. And now she's talking and you're not being able to make sense of anything she's saying. Correct. And so we're clear as far as the time frame. This is August 21st, that Friday, about what time do you think this conversation is happening in the morning? I'm going to guess around 7.45, 8 o'clock. Your time, what would it have been in Tampa time, Eastern? Uh, 10.45, 11 o'clock. Okay. Late morning of Friday the 21st for us, a little earlier for you. Yes. And when she starts crying and is talking crazy, it's nothing you can even comprehend. Yes. She then tells you, if I had only gotten the news about the dorms earlier, I wouldn't have had to do it. Yes. You now know that she had not secured a dorm in time. Now, yes. Okay. Now, now. And that's what she was talking about. Yes. But at the time she tells you that, you have no idea... What is she saying that I didn't? Ha I wouldn't have had to shoot him if I had only gotten the dorm. Right. You'd agree that her not securing a dorm in time would have been something that angered your mother. Yes. It would have been a very big mistake, issue, ordeal in your mother's eyes. Yeah. She then tells you that she's had screaming in her head since London and things were really bad. Yes. She describes pressure or feeling pressure. Yes. Now your sister studied abroad in London in 2013, correct? Her freshman year? I think so. Okay. So this is 2015. So the screaming she's describing to you, if we're, the time frame's right, is going on for about two years. Correct. She also described not being able to sleep and having nightmares since that time frame. Yes. She told you that she didn't think she could shoot Bob, mm -hmm. but that after she did, she went and sat on her bed and the screaming had gone away a little bit. Yes. But that the screaming was still there. Yes. She then told you that she had wanted to jump out of her bedroom window to avoid seeing your mom or having contact with your mom that evening. Yes. After shooting Bob. Correct. But that you're, she mistimed it and your mom confronts her in the driveway. Yes. Now you used the word confront back when you spoke to law enforcement right after this happened. 
Is that your recollection of what Nicole told you? That it was a confrontation by, between her and your mom in the driveway? No, I, literally what my sister said was she ran into her in the driveway and said, Nikki, what the fuck are you doing here? You want to look at your statement that you um, gave to Detective Messer on August 26th of 15 and how you described this confrontation? Would that refresh your memory as to what she said? I mean, you can tell me what she said. I, maybe I used the word confront. I mean, I don't mean confront as in a challenge. It was the way she portrayed it to me on the phone was a question. So if she felt confronted or you know, challenged, maybe that's something else. But the way it was portrayed to me was... It was a question. What do you mean a question? Well, she's surprised that she's there. So what are you doing here? Um, well, you said to Detective Messer, you told me you wanted me to tell you. And my mom confronted her about being there. And then you asked Detective Messer, do you want verbatim cussing? And that's when you said, what the fuck are you doing here? Yes. That's how you described it to Detective Messer back in August of 2015, that it was your mom confronting her about why is she there? So I want to be careful about saying confronting in terms of, like, anger. The way it was told to me on the phone, the way I remember it was, it wasn't really an anger question. My mom liked to cuss a lot, sorry. But she, what the fuck are you doing here? Is what the fuck you're doing here, are you indicating as an inviting term for somebody to take that as a, I guess, a happy question? No. And the fact that your sister would have been at the house when she's supposed to be at college would have been a problem in your mom's mind, correct? Yes. Okay. So we're not making this out to be the way your sister describes it is she's basically being caught at the house when she's not supposed to be there, correct? Yes. And your mom says, what the fuck are you doing here? Correct. But I just don't take it as anger because there could be a million reasons why she's there. The whole conversation with my sister talking to me about why she's there in the first place tells me that there didn't need to be a confrontation. There didn't need. In your mind. We're not in your mind. We're in your sister's mind. Right. So in my mind, it didn't come across as confrontational. It came across as a question. Okay. What the fuck are you doing here? As in, like, that's a happy, inviting comment. No, it's not. It's sustained. Move on. She actually described to you, your sister, that she mistimed jumping out the window and your mom getting there. Yes. Okay. And that's how this... We won't use the word confrontation if you don't want. But that's how this meeting in the driveway happened. Because she missed time jumping out the window, and then your mom basically sees her in the driveway. Yes. Your sister also told you that when she drove to Tallahassee, you described these signs she saw in her dorm. No, she described it being at the dorm. And seeing signs. Yes. As if the signs were talking to her in some way or, or sending her a message. She saw the signs and felt like that was reassurance that she needed to go back and finish it. Almost like it was meant to happen. Yes. She also told you during that conversation that it was like a weight had been lifted off of her shoulders. Yes. Now, you had indicated, and going back to the exact statements and the sequence of events, it's obviously been four years. Yes? Yes. 
And as far as the sequence of the terms and exactly the wording she used isn't exactly 100% imaged in your head. Is that fair to say? My sister's? Yes. Yes. As far as the order of things, her exact wording, not something you remember completely as you sit here today. Correct. But in August of 2015, when you're interviewed by law enforcement, it's a lot more fresher, and there's a, a transcribed interview of, of what you remember Nicole telling you at that time. Yes. Now, after you hang up with Nicole, you talk to the family, and you all decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to get her a lawyer, or are we going to help her? And the decision is made to help her. Yes. And so this is you and your uncles kind of collectively talking. Yes. And you call her back and you actually advise her, ask for an attorney when the law enforcement officer or the detective comes up there. Yes. And don't talk to them without an attorney. Correct. And your sister is somebody who's going to take your advice or listen to you as her older brother. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about that interview with law enforcement. When you were interviewed by Detective Messer on August 26th, that happened back in 15. That happened at your grandmother's house. Yes. Because they waited for you to arrive in Tampa, and then they conducted an interview here. Correct? Yes. And when you were interviewed by Detective Messer, you, in fact, relayed this fear your sister had of your mom. Yes. In fact, you used the terms, your sister was scared to death of your mom. Yes. Anything in life that your mom didn't approve of, your sister feared? Yes. You told uh, Detective Messer that, in fact, your sister was like a child when it came to your mom? Yes. And that after she's talking to you and telling you what she's done, she didn't appear to really grasp the seriousness of the situation. Can you say that one more time? As she's talking to you and even after the event, it was like being arrested didn't seem like a big deal to her. No, that was your impression. Right. She wasn't grasping the seriousness of the situation she was in. I'm going to show you what's been marked as Defense Exhibit 12 and tell me if you recognize that and how you recognize it. Yes, the uh, visitation video. Okay. That's, uh, and your initials are on that? Yes. And you view, viewed that disc prior to today? Yes. And is that a fair and accurate depiction of the jail visit that you had with your sister shortly after her arrest in 2015? Yes. Judge, at this time, I'd introduce Defense Exhibit 12. Any objection? No objection. To be admitted. Permission to publish? You may publish. Just to put it in context for the jury, after she's arrested, she's at the jail, and you're getting ready to go back, and you actually conduct a jail face-to-face -face visit with her. Yes. And she's now in jail charged with two counts of first-degree murder for the death of your mom and Bob. Yes? Yes. And this is the visitation that comes right before you're going to leave.
I saw like an envelope about it. Yeah, I don't know if it's like like goodies or you know. Um, if you can send other things. No, I don't know if it's like candy or if it's personal pr uh, products or a combination of both or whatever. But I'll look into doing that so we can send you some stuff randomly and put some money in your canteen. I don't know what kind of stuff you can buy with that. But maybe yeah. I think I guess I think I got some stuff. Uh, it's, I, I saw the list. It's mostly like uh, food and personal hygiene stuff. Okay. Well, so would you want some of that? Uh, I think I ordered some already uh, from the other thing you said from the other, from the other canteen you said, I think. Yeah, but when they transferred it, they said that most except put fifty bucks in there, and between both of the facilities, you know, processing fees and all that kind of crap, it, it's like four bucks less in there, I think. Wow. Yeah, so I gotta, I gotta look up how to deposit into this broken. Uh, yeah, we probably should have waited, I guess. I didn't think I'd be... Because I got the canteen you know, over there, or around the day I... You know, the next day I had to leave, so it's like, you know, I'm pretty nothing. Yeah, because I wanted you to get it quick so you can get some, some warm underwear, because you said it was cold in there, but I guess they got you out of it quick, so it wasn't too, bad, too big a deal. Yeah. So... Everything else okay? Uh, yeah, everything actually uh, fine. And reading, so they have books oh, here. Yeah, so yeah, so you know, um, I wish I could. I wish I could, you know, they in, at the Barnes and Nobles they had those little, you know, these like books maybe the size of novels, but they um, like like novel sized books, but they're, they're for writing. It'd be nice to get one of those to write something, like write a story. I like to write. So they, so they, they have pencils and pens and stuff? Oh, yeah, they have, yeah, they can, I can get that, too. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, I get you, maybe we can get a notepad or something so you can do your drawings again, you know. Yeah, I just, like, we're, like, you know, books to write stories, so I do, I've been reading these books, so I've been writing. Okay, but good. I, but, I'm, you know, I know this is weird, I just, I just feel so much better, I'm, and I'm really glad, you, I'm really glad you were able to make it talk for me for a few minutes.
next time uh, you end up calling me, uh, I'll get the booking number so I can. All right, maybe I'll get the booking number on the way up or something. Yeah, I'm sure you can ask. I can, I can, I can tell you some numbers and see if you can remember it. Just see you know, Oh yeah, I just sure usually know. Yeah, I'm sure they have all the information. And if not, they can always meet with me, and I can just give relay all the information to you. Yeah. Um. Other than that. What's your, uh, what's your style look like? Your little toilet? Um, toilet? Yeah, in the little toilet, I got both a bar in there so I can stretch these up. Mirror is pretty big, so I was, I was like, at first I thought I was going to get uncomfortable looking in it, but I'm like, oh, I look nice. You know? Yeah, yeah. Do they, do they uh, let you out to exercise or anything? Uh, so far, I haven't really been out, except maybe to shower kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is it scheduled times? If they're, I'm sure, I think they're in, but I'm just not sure because depending on who, who who keeps walking by, sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they're really not. And like like that, that's why I could I had trouble with the paper because this person was talking about how um you know yeah I need to write your name on a piece of paper and I'm like I asked if she could, if she could provide it and then like. I thought she was, and then an hour later, I asked, what's the update? And she's like, I'm not going to give, I don't want here to supply you with pencil and paper. You're supposed to write it. Like, I don't have any pencil and paper. Like, what's that? that that's mail. I don't have, that's stuff people wrote to me. I don't even have a pencil or any paper. And like, and she kind of didn't believe me. She kind of kind of rolled her eyes and walked off. So, it's like, you got to be careful. But some, but, but I know the sheriff, when I talked to my, um, you know, she had, one of the security guys was nice enough to leave of the paper with it on my desk. So that's why I, like, I had trouble, but it's kind of like, I got the paper until after, you know, I was done with my thing. Okay. Alright, um, so are you, are you okay with your daily routine? Yeah, I'm pretty good. You getting uh, adjusted? Yeah, mm-hmm. Just, you know, sleeping, uh, sleeping comfortably, like I said, I, I even weigh myself and I, I don't feel too bad about it. I'm like, supposedly, but 137, like, usually I'm supposed to be 100, apparently, uh, you know, according to certain somebody, and so, I know, but it really did eat, but it doesn't eat at me, it doesn't really eat at me anymore, so I'm like, like, I'm feeling so much better. Do you have any questions? Um, no, but um, I'm gonna. I think about that. What was that thing about the pack, eat the care packet thing? I can, you know, like I said, if I have anything, yeah, I can tell. Like I would like to, I would like to write something. I maybe like write a story and then you know send it to you. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Yeah. 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 Go for it. I know, but, I have to do, but since it's kind of hard because you know most right readers have to do research. I wish I had a history textbook to read. Uh, oh well. Wasn't that your degree? <laughs> no, um, she had me change. Um, mom had me change it to international affairs. Well, that's what I wanted you to get. Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah, you could actually do more with it. But Honestly, cool. you know, when in high school, I wanted. To, I was thinking of psychology or forensics, but she said no. Well, you know, yeah. um, as long as you got something that you could work with. When you yeah. Know, when you yeah. Know, when you graduate, so. 
So who knows? Maybe you become a, a good writer in there. And, you know, whatever you want to do. That's that's the whole point. Is do what you want to do to to, to be happy. My... You want to be a writer, be a writer. You want if you really wanted your history to be a history. Right. But you know, do what makes you happy because that's something you live just your life. I know. So. Practice writing. Okay, I 
care package. Um, you know, we love you. We all love you. Uh, just things to recap from that video um, obviously you were visiting her after her arrest for the two counts of, of, of murder yes um, and she's describing to you how her head is clear now yes she basically says that she's feeling no stress and no anxiety yes. despite being in jail yes and at this point she with the, the question I asked she asked questions just stating, restating the rules stated on that. All right, ask the question. What do you recall her describing about how she's feeling while she's in jail? Uh, she felt happy. Uh, can look in the mirror. Relieved. Do you recall her also discussing the weight issues and how she just felt good about herself? Yes. I want to ask you about the portion, if you recall, about her telling you when she gets out what she was going to do for you and your family. Yes. What do you recall her saying? Uh, from the video? Yes. She was going to buy us presents and get a job and, yeah, basically that. So even a week or two up until after her arrest, she still thinks she's at some point going to get out and, and be able to still interact with the family and, and yes. be in society, basically. Yes. current situation of the family um, since I guess the incident um, there's some members of your family that aren't speaking right now is that fair to say yes you haven't spoken to your grandmother Miriam in about two years uh, I spoke to her last week oh you did yeah prior to last week how long had it been since you spoke to her probably a couple years yeah and you spoke to her because you would come down for the trial uh, yes and you also haven't spoken to your uncle Eric correct I can have a moment? Yeah. 
questions. Thank you, Mr. Kerry. Thank you. Redirect. This is, um, can we approach? Yes. Before the uh, redirect, which is going to take a little longer, um, so uh, it's 11 o'clock. We'll go ahead and take about a 10 or 15 minute break, um, and uh, then we'll come back and do the redirect. Please do not discuss the case amongst yourselves or anyone else. Please do not do any research related to the case, and please avoid any exposure to the case outside of the courtroom. All rise for the jury. Jury's exited. Everyone may be seated. Uh, you may step down. We're going to do a. We'll be a recess for about 10, 15 minutes. Please don't discuss the case among with uh, any of the attorneys unless all the attorneys are present. Okay. Is now present as is uh, everyone except Miss Hersey. Do we need her? I don't have any idea what Miss Gary is getting ready to speak about, so. Oh. Yeah, yeah you, uh, she may want to be in here for it. She what? She may want to be in here. All right. Um, can we get Miss Hersey? She should be right outside the door. Should be in our witness room. All right. Uh, Miss Gary had some things yes, to say. What, what I want to bring up is rather than having an objection for, you know, every single witness and objecting repeatedly as these witnesses are talking, I anticipate a lot of the defense witnesses that they're calling today are we're going to be in a very similar situation to what we were yesterday during Ms. Roman's testimony right. where the state objected to hearsay. Right. So what I, I wanted to address before that is in looking at Earhart regarding hearsay, when a defendant seeks to introduce testimony concerning his or her own out-of-court statement, for the truth of the matter asserted, it's hearsay, unless it falls under an exception. There is no exception for that statement being something the expert then later relied on. Now, under I acknowledge that under 704, regarding expert testimony, experts can talk about things that are potentially inadmissible otherwise if it's something they rely on. But even they are not a conduit to hearsay. Correct. But the state's contention is that there is no exception for these witnesses being, for the defense questioning their own defense witnesses regarding statements that the defendant made that is the state's position are being offered for the truth of the matter asserted. That she was in fear of her mom, that her mom made her change her grades, that her mom controlled her life. Statements that she made. It is self-serving. It's being offered for the truth of the matter asserted. There is no exception because the experts are later going to talk about it. And again, I'm not speaking of the expert witnesses. I'm only speaking of the non-expert witnesses. So while we completely agree that they can testify to their observations, to her behavior, various things like that, to specifically ask them things like what was asked of Ms. Roman yesterday, you know, what did she tell you about her grades? What did she tell you about changing her major? You know, things like that. I don't remember those questions. Well, I, I, I recall that I guess Ms. Roman talked about various things that her mom felt about, um, I, I, just different things at college, I guess. Um, but either she way. She was at college with her, so there right, may right. have been things she observed at college. Correct, but, but there, was, there were statements that the state objected to that Ms. Roman testified about yesterday that the state believed were hearsay. 
Okay. And if you recall, we approached and we addressed those things, and Your Honor admitted it. So I just, again, prior to having each of these witnesses testify to what the state believes is going to be hearsay, I wanted to kind of put it out there now what our position is rather than approaching. All right, let me see. Um, uh, these next witnesses, do you anticipate asking any questions about statements that um, Ms. Stockman made to them or just things that they observed? Both. Um, and we don't believe they're hearsay because they do fall under the state of mind exception. So I disagree with Ms. Derry. So section 9803, then existing mental, emotional, or physical condition. Our client's state of mind in this case is the number one issue as it, as it relates to the defense. It's relevant to both insanity and it's relevant to both self-defense and her fear of her mother. So it's our position that any statements Nicole made about fearing her mother, um, obviously they can talk about behaviors. They're gonna, our witnesses are also going to talk about the anxiety she felt every time her mom was going to find out about something. Those are observations. Um, but yes, Nicole is going, they're going to talk about general observations and the fear that Nicole had of her mother. And it's absolutely relevant to state of mind because not only is her state of mind an issue for insanity, but it, it's, these witnesses are going to establish how Nicole is deteriorating throughout her childhood and into college, unable to care for herself, and, and her state of mind is absolutely an issue in this Well, But relevance is not an exception to hearsay. You're, it sounds like what you're saying to me is that whatever the specific statements, and again, I'm kind of hard-pressed without the exact statement to be able to determine whether it is being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted or something else. So without the matter asserted, I just am not in a position where I can make those decisions. It's not the matter asserted. It's under the state of mind exception. And her state of mind, if it's an issue in the case, it's relevant. Her state of mind. Nicole Nachmans. So the statements are not being offered for the truth of the matter asserted, but to show her state of mind, not only at the time of these offenses and fearing her mom, but why all this built up of her fearing her mom well, actually. I agree, I, and I hear you, but, but that's what I was saying. Until I hear the statement, I know what it is, how can I make a determination whether it's being offered for the truth of the matter asserted or whether it's being offered to show her state of mind? Judge, I guess if, if, if I elicit a specific question that then entails a state, or I mean, I don't know how you want to do it. I can tell you any statements I intend for the most part or generally, or we can approach and you can. I well, can we may, you, have, I we may have to approach, but there may be some general category that I can give you an idea, um, like the one we discussed yesterday. I, uh, whether it was hearsay for the counselor or whatever to say that Nicole said she wanted to kill Zoe. I, I can't imagine you're offering it to prove that that's that we have to look at the content of the matter asserted. I want to kill Zoe. There's no way in the world that I'm going to believe that you're offering it to prove that she wanted to kill Zoe. So Correct. obviously it's being offered for some other matter, and therefore, well, as long as that matter goes to her state of mind, it falls within the exception, and it's it's not Correct. your set. Correct. But until I see the statements, okay. I don't know. Now, and I, I given the state, maybe the two statements later, I want to kill everybody, again, not being offered to prove. I feel like I'm going to snap that might be being offered for the truth of the matter asserted and then hearsay and not admissible. But until I determine that it's being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted, it's not hearsay. And I can't determine that until 
I see the statement. Okay. So, it depends. Depends on what the statements are. But, I'm, I mean, I caution the state to be aware of that. What is the matter being asserted in the statement? And Judge, I totally agree with you, and we are, but it's our position that based on what's come out so far and based on the opening statement of the defense, they absolutely are introducing things like the fact that she had to change her grades because her mom would be upset with her because she was getting failing grades. They are introducing that well, for the well, truth of the matter asserted. Well, and I to, anticipate there are several witnesses this afternoon. To prove that she changed her grades? Why would they want to prove did she change her grades? Because so, she had to do that or else her mom would be upset with her failing grades. Okay, well then the rest of it, that because her mom would be, um, then that's being offered to prove that and that may be precluded. But she said she changed her grades. That's admissible. It's not hearsay. Now, the rest of it, and the, and the expert can talk to that later, but not the, she changed her grades because she was afraid of her mom that's being offered to prove that she's afraid of her mom. And so that's hearsay. But she said she changed her grades. Period. Fact. That's not being offered to prove what's the matter asserted in. If the statement is, she tells one of her friends, I changed my grades. What's the matter asserted? That she changed her grades. If Period. I guess we disagree, Judge, because I do believe they are offering it to show that she actually changed her grades, that the, the witnesses will testify that she would print out progress reports and actually white out and change grades so that it looked different. So uh, to split it up, because I believe that's absolutely why they're doing it, because it goes to the whole defense that these are the kinds of crazy things that she had to do to please her mom. So I disagree. I think that they are introducing it to prove that she changed her grades. Um, so, and that's just an example. And, and I'm perfectly fine if the court wants to take it one step at a time, as the witness, you know, as the question is asked and as the statement comes out. I'm perfectly fine if you want to take it at that. That's okay, and the state will do that. I was just simply, again, going off of some of the things that were said yesterday from Ms. Roman, just trying to anticipate that I think that, you know, maybe some of the issues that we deal with this afternoon. What's the defense position on that? On I mean, uh, she said a lot. Of you may be. Um, not going to say she's changed my mind, but she has my attention. That you may have to prove that she changed, actually changed her grades. So my example may not be as beneficial to the defense as I thought it originally was. You are attempting to prove she changed her grades so that. You can then argue she changed her grades because she was in fear of her mom or that the expert can make statements regarding why she changed her grades. Judge, her transcript of FSU is going in and it's going to show Fs. That's not what the evidence is going to show her mom knew about. If her mom had known about the Fs, we would have had a serious problem here. So the transcript as a business record is in as to what her true grades are. Has that, that's coming in later. It's not in yet. No, it, it hasn't been objected. That's one of the ones they agreed to. So it clearly shows that by the last semester she's making Fs. The witnesses will then say, I'm aware that she changed her grades. The evidence is, what's so that her mom wouldn't get in trouble? The evidence of the grades is in, they're Fs. Now, do I have the actual Photoshop printout? I mean, if, if the court's gonna require me to do that, I may have to go Photoshop look at- Photoshop printout of what? Of her actually changing them to A's, whether, but the fact of the grades, is an, it will be an evidence that those are Fs. 
And your position is that the changing of the grades is being offered to show what other than they were changed? They're changed and what her state of mind is at the time, well, that's what, to me, I don't think the fact that she changed her grades is hearsay. If a witness or a friend is aware or saw her change her grades. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. 100%. So then I don't think there's, there's no, an exception necessarily. Not, that. I don't think there. You're not objecting if a witness coming here and say, I saw her change her grades. Not You're not objecting to that hearsay. Not if they say they saw her do right. it. Saw right. Her do it. Right. The issue here is Nicole told me that she changed her grades. And just because she's a defendant in this case does not. Um, make it an exception to hearsay. Self-serving hearsay is not admissible statements of the defendant. I'm just going to see what the witness... But it's not hearsay unless it's being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. It's being offered to prove that she changed her grades so that you can then argue she was changing her grades because she was afraid of her mom. Correct, which her state of mind is, is, is that issue in this case, and that's where I believe they're relevant. So, the witness would say she changed her grades a couple of times because her mom... She would print out a copy of her grades, she would give it to her mom, and she would change the grades to an A or a B. Well, I mean, I'm concerned about the because of her mom. How do they know that? If they saw her print them out and change them, they absolutely can testify And that's to all that. I was going to I can you elicit can that, that, those facts that they observed. there can speak for themselves. You can make argument later as to why, and the, the, the psychiatrist can talk about um, why she believed she was changing her grades and that she thought that she was afraid of her mom and that she was hallucinating. The, in, the insanity expert talks about that, that he doesn't think that the mom was a danger to her, that those were hallucinations on her part. Um, I think those were his words. His words were um, that she was delusional and that those were hallucinations, that the mom wasn't really going to kill her, Correct. that that was hallucination. So the experts can talk about all that. Yes, sir. You want to establish facts that people saw, we're not going to have any problems here. If you want to introduce things that they're going to say, Nicole told me, then we're going to have to approach and I'm going to have to make a determination as to whether it's being offered for the truth of the matter asserted. And um, if so, whether there's some exception to it. Yes, sir. Or if it's not being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted, then it's simply not hearsay. Yes, sir. All right. Anything else? One final thing. Yes. And, and I know this is complicated, Judge, because there are two defenses going at the same time, it which makes it extremely difficult. difficult to separate the two. Even the state is having a hard time knowing what exactly purpose they're putting on certain evidence for. At this point, Your Honor, it's still the state's contention, and I believe we've now rested. You've seen all the evidence that the state has. There is no evidence of self-defense. Therefore, that instruction is not going to be available. So any discussion about battered child syndrome, any evidence regarding specific allegations of abuse, I think at this point, go to the battered child syndrome, go to the self-defense, which is not applicable in, in the state's position, and therefore should not come in. So I, I, want, I urge the court to look at it all with caution as well as to what the purpose is of what they're introducing it. I understand the insanity plays a big role in all of this, and some of the issues kind of mix with both. Um, that's that's my and that, concern. And that, and that is a challenge, Your Honor, and I understand. It's a challenge for states, a challenge for Your Honor. But it's still the state's position and I, I, that no evidence has been presented at this time of self-defense. And we have now rested our case. So until the defense puts on some sort of evidence of that, I, I would urge the court to make sure that, and we would object to them getting into any sort of specific allegations of child abuse, any specific uh, dealings with that. So that's our position on that. Judge, my position, as I stated yesterday, whether our expert tomorrow can opine on battered child syndrome will be a, an issue for the court to address. However, both experts will say that the treatment of 
Miss Nachman by her mother beginning at basically birth and the turmoil that she grew up in led to her mental health deterioration, led to symptoms of, of mental illness, as you stated earlier from Dr. Ewing, as early as the third grade. That family is seeing these symptoms of mental illness and telling Miriam Dean she needs counseling and nothing's happening. That then gets us to August of 2015. So regardless of whether tomorrow Dr. Heidi can use the words battered child syndrome is a separate issue in and of itself of whether this, this individual's childhood is relevant for this jury to hear, and that includes how her mother treated her, both physical, verbal abuse, and anything this family witnessed along the lines because our experts are going to say that led to her mental health deterioration, which ultimately led her to become delusional, psychotic, and insane at the time of these offenses. Well, and the brother has already tested to derogatory statements um, that the mother made. I mean, the, the brother is in one of the best positions to address that, and he's already testified. Well, and to he those said things. he saw changes in middle school, but keep in mind the brother's living in Utah, the brother's living in Washington, and the brother's seeing her maybe in the summers. And so he sees his observations in that limited time. There's family that lived in the city of Tampa that saw her regularly and witnessed other observations, behaviors, and how she was in the relationship with the mother. It's absolutely relevant. And I just want to add, Judge, the fact that the state has rested their case, that's right, we're now in the defense case. We have a right to put on our facts and our evidence that may very well support the battered child syndrome, self-defense, and insanity. So how Mr. Terry feels that you should engage in precluding our presentation of our case, I, I just don't find to be appropriate at this time. And I think that approaching, I, I, I will tell you, they can derail me every question and go up to the bench. It's not going to affect me at all. It's not going to affect Ms. Hersey. But to say to give a blanket, you know, no self-defense in this case, and think about that, Judge, there's no self-defense, you haven't even heard our case yet, and it's not all based on just experts. Well, the issue is that the theory of battered child syndrome is not something that you can use until you've broken, reached that of that there was self-defense. And no one today is going to utter the words battered child syndrome. No one today. Our experts will be tomorrow, and by tomorrow we have, we'll have decided, rested, as far as the lay witnesses, and then I believe the court can opine on whether that word or that term can be used. No one is going to utter the words battered child syndrome today. But we are going to try and lay a foundation for that which the state clearly wants excluded, no doubt about it. We are going to try and start laying out those facts today. So we, we certainly don't want you to, to be pre-judging before you actually hear the witnesses because you're, you're, you haven't seen depositions, you haven't seen the police reports. Um, they're just asking you to do something in a vacuum, in my opinion. Judge, I, and I understand that's Ms. Holt's opinion, but i got to try our case for the state. We need to make sure the stuff that is not relevant is excluded, as any prosecutor will do anywhere in this county, or anywhere in the United States. No, I agree with you. So I we're going to try and keep out evidence that is not relevant to specifically battered child syndrome until they establish predicate. And I did not say that they would not. I do not think they can. I do not think they will. But they, they have the chance to present some evidence of that. But I'm saying up until now, we have not seen it. In the case that I provided, Labby State was very clear that no evidence of battered child syndrome should, is admissible until they've reached that threshold where they've established a predicate of self-defense. That's all I'm asking the court to do. No one is going to utter the words today, Judge. Well, but I, there's a difference between the words and, and what descriptions of things that would only come in as part of battered spouse uh, child syndrome. Uh, and 
here we have the addition of, and I've had the benefit of reading um, the doctor's deposition, which is, uh, what's his name, Dr. Ewing. Ewing. And as you pointed out, he realized things as early as third grade that people were reporting symptoms of her mental illness. So her childhood is absolutely relevant. The treatment of her mother is absolutely relevant because what the ultimate hallucination and delusional thinking at the time of the offense for insanity is that she thought her mother was going to kill her. Why did she think her mother was going to kill her even though the doctor himself thinks it's a delusion? Because of the years of abuse and the fear of her mother. It's all tied in. It's all relevant. The uttering of battered child syndrome and that opinion cannot be used until I've established self-defense. But all of that years of treatment and, and, and um, abuse by the mother is absolutely relevant to what she was thinking at the time of the offense. And in her mind, she thought her mother was going to kill her. And that it, was a delusion and it was a paranoid thinking. And even if I agree with you, which, which I, 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 I do to some degree, when I read Ewing's deposition, um, absolutely, he's going to rely on that for the insanity. Uh, uh, he's the insanity expert. Yes, sir. And he's going to rely on a lot of that. But the issue now comes back to how it comes in, whether it comes in as admissible evidence, and whether that just opens the door to hearsay, and it doesn't. Judge, I heard your ruling on hearsay. Okay. approach anytime I try to elicit hearsay. Certainly, if somebody observed, for example, I'm going to the extreme here, her mother beating her, that's relevant to what Dr. Ewing is going to testify that caused her to have a mental break or caused her to be schizophrenic or um, contributed to, then it's, it, it is relevant. So that's the first bar you got to is the, element, is the evidence relevant? If it's relevant, it should come in unless precluded by some other rule. If it's precluded by the hearsay rule because the person is simply saying, Nicole told me her mother beat her, then it's not going to be admissible. If it's, I saw, then it comes in through you. Does the state understand that? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. All right. Uh, is the defense ready to call your first witness? Yes, Judge. All right, let's bring in the jury. Ready, Judge? Yes. All right, the jury. Welcome back. First question to you is, did anyone discuss the case, do any research related to the case, or was anyone exposed to any reports about the case during the last break? By show of hands, let the record reflect no, no hands. Thank you all very much. Is the defense ready to proceed? We are, Your Honor. I'll ask you to call your first witness. Elena Rowe. Technically, I guess it's your second witness. You called one witness out of order during the state's case. Yes, sir. Say row is the last one. R O E. Miss Row, good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon. If you'll come forward to be sworn. Once you cross that, wherever you're comfortable, if you'll face me and raise your right hand. Be sworn. You'll raise your right hand. Thank you. Do you swear or affirm any testimony you give in this proceeding will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Yes. Thank you. If you'll follow the bailiff around to the ramp that leads up to the witness chair. 
Please watch your step. When you get to the chair, go ahead and have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. That microphone is adjustable. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. You may proceed. If you just state your name for the record and spell your last name. Elena Rowe, R-O-E. And what is your address, ma'am? 14108 Fensbury Drive. And uh, do you live there with other individuals? Yes. And who are those individuals? Uh, Westro and Elizabeth Ray. And Elizabeth Ray is your daughter, is that correct? Yes. And Wesley Rowe is your husband, is that correct? Yes. And they testified earlier this week you were here? Um, actually, last week. Last week? Okay, last yes. week. Last All week. right, thank you. How long have you lived at uh, the address that you just gave us? Uh, for 12 years, since 2007. And did there come a time where individuals moved into 14110 Fensbury Drive? Uh, yes. And do you recall about how long before 2015 that was? Mm, I would say 2012. Okay, about 2012? Yes. Do you recall actually observing the individuals move into the house? Um, no, but soon after. Okay. And how many people do you know uh, moved in at least in 2012? Three. And do you recall the names of those individuals? Yes, it was Miriam, Bob, and Nicole. And Miriam, uh, was that Miriam Deans? Yes. And Robert Deans? Correct. And you're speaking of Nicole Nachman? Yes. Okay. And could you look around the courtroom and see if you uh, can see the person that you know as Nicole Nachman? Yes, the girl in the gray sweater. Judge, if the record might reflect that she's identified Ms. Nachman. Right, shall so reflect. During the time period that uh, the Deans family moved, uh, lived next to you, uh, did you all become closer than just neighborly? So, in other words, did you socialize together or create a friendship or anything of that sort? Not so much, just neighborly. Neighborly. And what would that mean to you? What does neighborly to you mean? Like we would say hi to each other. If we go out of town, they would pick up our mail. And uh, likewise, if they go out of town, Josh, we would pick up our mail. Uh, not, not hearing. Uh, if I can get you to get a little closer to the microphone so that it amplifies your voice. Okay. You'll still be able to tell what it is. Oh, I can, I can hear it now. I can hear myself a lot better. I apologize. That's right. I think you indicated that you would go pick up their mail and they would pick up yours if, if y'all were respectively out of town? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, did you ever go into the actual Dean's home at all? Uh, barely. I mean, I did go in like a little bit. Kind of like in the foyer area or something? Yeah. Did you ever have them over to your house, either for uh, uh, any type of social purpose at all? Not really, except one year um, I invited Nicole to go trick-or-treating. Okay. And you recall about how old Nicole was at that time? I think she was a senior in high school. Okay. And at the time that uh, Nicole would have been a senior in high school, how old was your daughter? She was about 11. Okay. And. Uh, did you ever have occasion to, other than on that one occasion, did you ever have any other interaction with Nicole during the 2012 year, 2013 year, or 2014 year? Well, I know she left for um, FSU, so I didn't really see her much, other than like holidays and summer. But um, I would see her running. Like when she would come for the summer, I would see her like walking, usually running. What time of the day would, uh, would Miss Nachman uh, choose to run at? Well, I run myself um, early, like in the evening, like after seven. So I would see her then. Sometimes, sometimes I would see her 
during the hottest part of the day, which I thought was strange, like it was so hot. And in your conversations with uh, either Mr. and Mrs. Deans and or Nicole, you had learned that she was going to go off to FSU, is that correct? Yes. Did you have any idea, were you personally aware of what her study in school was going to be at all? I did not know, no, but um, when I went trick-or-treating, she mentioned political science. And during uh, the summer of 2015, how often would you see Miriam Deans during that time period? I didn't see her that much. Okay. And were you aware of what Ms. Dean's work schedule was or the fact that she traveled? Um, no, it wasn't. I just, it seems like she wasn't there much. Okay. And when you say not there much, you mean there at the home? Is that right, right, right. And how often would you see uh, Mr. Dean's? Uh, almost every day. And during that summer of 2015, how often would you see uh, Nicole Nachman? Um, I would see her, but like I said, mostly just running. And um, during the time periods that you would see uh, Miss Nachman running, and either you were running or just out in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. would you have any interaction at all whatsoever? I would wave to her, but she she really wouldn't wave back, like, like she doesn't know me. Okay. And again, did you find that to be strange? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, because you did go trick or treating uh, with Miss Nachman, could you tell me a little bit about what your what your impressions were of? Miss Nachman, in terms of how she appeared to you, mm -hmm. she's 17, so you tell me. Right, she was. She mostly talked to me. She didn't really talk to Elizabeth, and I think maybe because Elizabeth is so much younger. Um, Elizabeth is seven years younger, so maybe that's why. But she mostly talked to me, and she was she was talkative and pleasant. Um, but I thought she was a little bit younger for her age. And by younger, you mean a little bit immature for the. A age little bit for for high school. For yes. high school. And um, like the younger kids, Elizabeth and her friend were asking for candy, and Nicole was asking for fruits and vegetables. And I found it strange. <laughs> um, during the time period that, that your daughter uh, would have been in, at home during the summer of 2015, would she have been alone most of the time, or did you kind of have a family member checking in on her? I would have uh, my mom. My mom would check on her almost every day. But sometimes she was like alone, but my mom would come at least once a day. Do you know whether or not your mom had any interactions with Nicole at all? And don't tell me anything your mother has said, but just do you know whether or not they had any interactions? I don't, I think like my mom would say hi and... Okay. Mom, okay, that's it. <laughs> you, you weren't personally there to observe how Miss Nachman interacted with your mom, however. No, I didn't see that. Now, going specifically to the night of August the 20th, mm -hmm. uh, 2015, do you recall that night? Yes. And you recall that night because obviously there was an incident where a lot of law enforcement ends up there. Right. Okay. At the, at the actual time of, of about 9.15 or so, mm -hmm. were you physically at your home? No, I was out walking. Okay. And on that particular day, had you worked? Yes. And about what time do you get home from work? I usually don't get home until 6.30 or 7, but that night I was home earlier because Elizabeth was going into high school and she had orientation at her high school. And did you go with your daughter to the orientation? Yes, I, I met my daughter. Her dad picked her up from the house and then I met them at school. 
And after the orientation, uh, do you know what Elizabeth and her dad did? Uh, they think went out to dinner to buy her bread. And what did you do? I just had dinner at home and then went for a walk. Do you recall about what time it was that you headed out for a walk? Um, say around 8. At the time you got home from orientation, uh, do you recall whether or not you made any observations of the cars that were actually at 14110 Fenceberry Drive? That's when you first got home mm -hmm. from work. I didn't really pay attention. Now, when you came uh, back from orientation and you had dinner and you were leaving to go for a walk, did you make any observations at that time of the vehicles that might have been in, in, in either at the home or in close proximity to the home at 14110 Fensbury Drive? I saw um, Nicole's car because what happened, I was walking and her car was parked in the kind of like the end of the driveway and I was texting my friend and I almost tripped in her car, so I almost fell. And you indicated that this was at about 8 o'clock? Or shortly after. Or shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Did there come occasion uh, between 8 and 9 where you returned back home for some reason? Yes. Um, I had to reset my Fitbit. Okay. And you came home, you reset your Fitbit. Did you mm -hmm. go back out to walk again? Yeah, I went back around 9. And again, did you make any observations of whether or not Nicole's car was still there at 14110 Fensbury Drive? <sighs> like the second time, I really don't remember. I just remember seeing it earlier around 815. And you identified Nicole's car as which one? Uh, red Prius. Okay. Um, I don't believe I have any other questions at this time of this witness. Thank you, Ms. Rowe. Cross-examination. Yes, Good afternoon, Ms. Rowe. Hello. Um, Ms. Rowe, um, during the course of your time living there, did you ever hear any yelling, screaming, or anything coming out of the house next door of the mountains? Objection the, the outside piece? scope of direct. To pro. Did you ever hear any yelling, any arguing, any screaming, or anything coming from the house next door, the dean's house? No. Okay. Now, Ms. Rowe, um, on the night in question, um, you were not present when the actual um, shooting took place, were you? Yes. Right. I was away. 
you, you were away. You were out for your walk. Yes, right? I was for my walk. All right. And on that night um, when you got home, um, you were interviewed by, by law enforcement officers, were you not? Yes. And you, in fact, recalled you were, on that night, uh, you were interviewed by Detective Mitch Messer. He was the lead detective in the case. Yes. And he, he recorded that phone call, didn't, did he not? Yes. Okay. Objectionable is to the form of the question because it wasn't a phone call. That's all. I'm sorry. It wasn't a phone call. He recorded that conversation. Right. Conversation. Thank you. Um, so, in, 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 would you agree with me that on that night in question, your memory was a lot clearer uh, as far as what you saw and didn't see on that night than maybe what it is now, today? Um, I was like, I, I don't know if I totally agree because I was like in shock. Okay. So I was kind of like absent-minded. All right. Well, do you recall when they asked you whether or not, and you've been, you were mm -hmm. here very specific about what you saw. However, on the date in question, when they asked you mm -hmm. if you had seen her car in the last couple of days, uh, you said, um, or has her car been in the driveway, you, your response it's was that. It's not just objective and proper impeachment. He hasn't even allowed an opportunity to refresh your recollection. All right. I'll show her the report. Would you care to see the report? I guess the next page. Ms. Rhodes, does that refresh your recollection about what you told the officer on that day? Yes. And if, did you, in fact, not tell him that you did not or don't remember seeing her car there that day? It appears to be, yes. No further questions. Redirect? Yes, thank you, Judge. Just a few questions. Ms. Roy, you just indicated, though, that, um, well, let me start this way. How, from the time that uh, you went out to walk that close to that 9 o'clock, what time did you were you allowed to return back to your home? You mean, like, when I came for a break? No. So you mm -hmm. came home mm -hmm. at 8 o'clock to right. reset your Fitbit, right. then you left to go back out to walk. Mm -hmm. Did there come a time where you wanted to come back home but wasn't able to do so? Yes. Um, they wouldn't let me go back until after midnight. And when you say they, you mean law enforcement who right. was in that area, obviously right. investigating mm -hmm. what was occurring, correct? Yes. Okay. During that time period, though, were you also in conversation with your husband and or daughter telephonically? Yes. And you indicated that that night you, you feel like you were in shock. Mm -hmm. why, why do you feel that way? Well, because like when I was walking and I was actually talking to Elizabeth on the phone about making plans for the next day, she told me, Mom, um, <coughs> I think we hear gunshots. Don't come home. And so... You're being asked by your daughter and your husband not to come home mm -hmm. at a time when they're also telling you that they think there's gunshots. Right. Did you also learn during that time period you were gone that someone had actually been found deceased? Um, no. Did law enforcement tell you why they weren't letting you through to your home? Uh, well, they said that there was a body now right away. Okay, so they, they told you there was a body in right away. Yeah, I guess. And did that exacerbate your, I mean, did that make your anxiety worse or, or did it make it better? It made me very anxious. Okay. And you did speak to law enforcement that night, mm -hmm. and they did record your statement, correct? Yes. And you also um, have talked to members of our office 
trying to prepare for trial, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And you also have talked to the state attorney's office trying to prepare for trial, correct? Yes. And at a, at a subsequent time, you had told us about the red Prius and almost tripping over it, correct? Yes. And during the time period that um, the Dean's family lived next door, you indicated that you saw Mr. Dean's pretty much on a daily basis outside. Yes, every Did you ever see he and uh, Miss Nachman interacting with each other? No. Did you ever see Mrs. Dean's and her daughter interacting outside together in any way? No. And the Dean's family, they had a pool area, lanai, and things like mm -hmm. that in the back of their home, correct? Yes. Did you ever overhear anything going on outside? Good things, not bad. Anything good? No. Um, during your observations of the Dean's home where Ms. Nachman lived mm -hmm. from 2012 to 2015, uh, how soon after they moved in do you believe that Nicole Nachman went off to FSU to go to school? I would say um, in a year or so. So she wouldn't have been there but for holidays mm -hmm. and the summer in 20, for 2013, 2014, and then obviously 2015 mm -hmm. in the spring, correct? Yes. During the time period that you did, however, observe Ms. Nachman at home and during the time period that Ms. Nachman lived with her family there at the house, did you ever see young individuals coming and going from the dean's home that could be perceived as Ms. Nachman's friends? Mm -hmm. No. I have nothing further. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, let me just make sure. I mean, this witness be excused? Yes, sir. Anybody say? Yes, sir. Take maybe you may step down. You may be excused as a witness at this time. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll ask the defense to call your next witness. The defense calls Ronald Nachman. <clears throat> Mr. Nachman, good afternoon and welcome. Good morning. You'll come forward to be sworn wherever you're comfortable. If you'll face me and raise your right hand, please. Thank you. Do you swear or affirm any testimony you give in this proceeding will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God? Yes, sir. Thank you. If you'll follow the bailiff around to the ramp that leads up to the witness chair, please watch your steps, sir. When you get to the chair, go ahead and have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. That microphone is adjustable. You may proceed. Introduce yourself to the jury, please. Um, um, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Ronald Jane Notman. Mr. Notman, how are you related to Nicole Notman? I'm her um, biological father. I'm her legal father. Mr. Notman, what do you do for a living? Um, I have a PhD in human anatomy and cell biology. Uh, currently, I'm a college professor. And how long have you been doing that? I've been a college professor for about 10 years and two months. How did you meet Nicole's mother, Miriam Deans? I met her at Memorial Park um, late January of 1993. Let's tell the jury where, what, what state were we in at the time. We're in Texas, Houston, Texas. So you met Ms. Deans at a park? Yes, ma'am. Did you all then... 
You get in a relationship, start dating. How did that happen? Uh, she wanted to meet people, so I told her about a single Sunday school class that I attended. And uh, we, at the church, it was a large church, we also had a volleyball team for single people. So she showed up every week at the Sunday school class. And also, we played volleyball many months together. When you met Miss Deans, did she already have two children? Yeah, she had uh, two boys that she told me, um, Joey and Kevin. I didn't meet them right then. They, uh, she had told me they'd been living with her mother in Tampa for about eight years. So when you initially meet Miss Deans in Texas, you learn that she has two children already, but that they're not—they're clearly not there with her in Texas. That's true. She said she was living in the Memorial area, Spring Branch Memorial area, uh, which is about 45 minutes from downtown Houston, and she was working up there at Spring Branch Memorial Hospital as a nurse. And you had said a moment ago that you met her in 1993. Yes, ma'am. It was either late January, probably. She played volleyball many months with us. I have photographs of us playing volleyball together. How long did you know Miss Deans before she became pregnant with Nicole? Um, she became pregnant with Nicole uh, about mid-April of 93. Um, again, she was showing up at parties and Sunday school class. I'm going to have Jack to say, Break it up with a question. Ask another question. You said she became pregnant in April of 1993 with Nicole. Mid-April. And you think you met her in early 1993? Yes, some maybe time in general. She played volleyball with us every, every week. So it was a short relationship before she becomes pregnant. Is that fair to say? You and um, Miss Deans's relationship? Four, four and a half months. Yes, ma'am. And at the time she becomes pregnant with Nicole, have her sons rejoined her in Texas? Um, she moved in with me uh, into uh, my apartment at, at 614 Marshall, and then uh, she and I got a rental home in the Texas Medical Center. She got a job there, and I worked there in the Texas Medical Center, so we rented a home there. And then did the boys come live with you all? Yeah, the boys came to live with us April, uh, excuse me, August 1st of 1993. So for the first few months of the relationship, about, well... Since you met her and then she becomes pregnant in April, the boys aren't there until later on in the pregnancy, sometime in August of 1993. They arrived August 1st from Tampa. Yes, ma'am. That day. Now, was Miriam going through a divorce at the time you and her met and began this relationship? Yes, she was, but I didn't know that. She was coming to the single Sunday school class and the volleyball team. Singles. I didn't know she was married. But you later learned that at the same time she was seeing you, she somehow was going through a divorce with her son's father. I, I learned after the pregnancy when she was living with me that she was married. They were going through a divorce, yes. Now, at some point you indicated you all moved in together and then eventually got a rental home, all while she was pregnant with Nicole? Uh, she actually moved in before she was pregnant. She uh, said she had lost her job at Spring Branch Memorial. Don't tell me what she said. Just tell me kind of the time frame as far as when you believe she uh, She, she moved, moved in. in at the start of April. She, she didn't um, have a job. And that was 1993? Yes. And, and then when was Nicole born? And Nicole was born on uh, February 11th. Of what year? 1994. Okay. 
Now, after Miriam moves in with you, can you tell the jury a little bit about your relationship with her while she's pregnant with Nicole? Everything seemed to be fine. Uh, there was a, a few weird things that were going on. Uh, there was nothing major, but we were having fun, going out with parties with people, to dinner. She was playing volleyball. We went fishing. Uh, we went to uh, Freeport, stayed in Freeport on the beach for a few days, fishing. At some point, does something change in your relationship? Um, well, we got the rental house, and uh, the boys arrived on August 1st, as I said. And things drastically changed on August the 7th. What happened on August the 7th of 1993? Um, well, we, I, we, I taught her how to play golf, and I taught her how, I bought her golf clubs, and we played golf quite frequently. And she asked me to go play golf that morning, and I said, okay. And um, she started screaming that I was abusing her. I'm going to object. Don't tell me what she said. Legal basis? Relevance. Approach. Both relevance and narrative at this point. I I'm going to sustain. Ask, ask a, a general question. Mr. Nachman, at some point shortly after moving in, did you move out of the house? Yes, I did. On the 18th of September. And was that based on behaviors Miriam Deans was exhibiting at that time? I was repeatedly being... Judge, I'm going to object. I, 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 I will question. instruct the witness to answer only the question we'd ask. It's a yes or no question. Did you move out because of behaviors by Miriam Deans? Yes, I. Yes, ma'am. Was Nicole born yet at this point? No, she was, uh, um, the baby was going to be born. So when we, did you move out? September 18th, 93. And where did you go live? Uh, I got a one-bedroom apartment, but then I changed to a two-bedroom apartment in the Texas Medical Center area, just down the street. Did From, you and Miss Deans ever get back together or re- kindle the relationship after you moved out in September of 1993? Uh, she called me on uh, February, uh, January 31st, she called me at my home and invited me back to the birth. Okay, so you were present when Nicole was born? Yes, ma'am. And that was February of 1994, correct? Uh, that was February 11th, 1994. And that was in Texas? Yes, ma'am. And I moved back to the house. You moved back in where Nicole was living. For what purpose? I, uh, Nicole and I slept in the sunroom, and I took care of her every day. So even after you and Miriam Deans broke up, you all set up some type of um, caretaking schedule where you were taking care of Nicole every day as a baby? I took care of Nicole every day by myself as a baby in the sunroom. And until what age did you care for Nicole? I... I um, Moved out of that house into my, my two-bedroom apartment. I had a nursery and a two-bedroom apartment. And she lived with me, solely lived with me, until uh, January 7th, 1995. I took care of her almost every day by myself. So she was almost a little less than a year old for the first year of her life is when you cared for her every day. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to show you what's been marked as Defense Exhibit 11A, B, and C. And tell me if you recognize these. 
this is this is that this is just tell me yes first. Yeah, I recognize okay. that. Okay, what are they? They're pictures of Nicole in a church and an apartment. And are they pictures with you and Nicole during that eleven or twelve month time period where you cared for her? Yes, every day I cared for her by myself. At this time the defense will introduce defense exhibit eleven A, B, and C. Any objection? No objection. They'll be admitted. Permission to publish? You may publish. Defense exhibit eleven A. Is that you and Nicole? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> How old do you think Nicole was at that in that picture? I don't know, she was always so happy. <laughs> oh my. How old do you think she was? I can't tell. Okay. But it was during that first year of her life. That's our place when I yes, ma'am. Oh yeah. 11B? Um, that's probably after I got her back. Um, again, she was uh, four separated from me September, January 7th of 95. And I had, I had to go to court to try to get her back. 11C? Is that also you and Nicole? That's uh, at a church after lunch. That's a church group. We went to Sunday school class in church every day together, every Sunday. Now, after those first 11 or so months that you cared for Nicole every day, what was then the visitation schedule or what uh, the setup as far as you and Nicole goes after that? Uh, I was told by the court. Don't tell me what anyone told you. Just tell me what happens. I, I had to go back to court to try to find, get, her, get her back to me. Is that about when the custody battle between you and Miriam began? The custody battle actually began November before she was born. She filed that there would be no legal rights to Nicole. So November of 1993 is when Miriam first tried to prevent you from having visitation with Nicole. That's right, ma'am. And at some point, did you have to hire an attorney to handle that custody case for you? Yes, ma'am. I, I hired uh, Mr. Hirsch, Reginald Hirsch. And did that custody case go on for most of Nicole's childhood? It continued until she was finally uh, taken away from me. Yes, ma'am. Did Miriam also have an attorney for that custody case? Uh, yes, ma'am. She had Diane Richards. That was, that was her first attorney, ma'am. At any point after Nicole's birth, was there ever a time where you did not want to have visitation rights to Nicole or, or stay in contact with her? No, I was... I was always wanted to be with her every day. And what would Miriam do, and don't tell me what she said, but what would her actions, what would she do anytime you attempted to assert your visitation rights with Nicole? Um, after I got her back on June 16th. Of what year? Just so uh, we know time. 95. Okay. Um, she was um, disrupting the daycares that she was at. She, she, she did live with me about 60% of the time when I got her back, by court order. We had a specific order. She lived with me 60% of the time, her time, 40% with the mother. So there were times where you had Nicole, like you said, for the first 11 months or so every day. Almost every day, ma'am. Then the custody. Well, I don't know if her mother was taking care of her, so ma'am. But as far as your time with her goes from every day, maybe to none at all, then to 60%, and vice versa. Yes, and then um, as in um, uh, the grandmother, the grandmother was Objection, in... Objection, narrative. Well, he hasn't started. I, I'm going to caution him, though, 
as to non-responsive. Listen to the question that's being asked and only answer. You, you tend to, you haven't done anything wrong, Sorry. but you tend to go on after you answer the question and add some stuff. Okay. So, so just listen to the question and try to respond to the question that's being asked. Go ahead and re-ask the last question um, so I can see whether it calls for a narrative. Forgot what it was, but give well, me a Well, rephrase minute. one that doesn't call for a narrative. At some point after Nicole's birth and after those first 11 months, does the visitation between you and Miriam fluctuate? Yeah, she would prevent Nicole from seeing me. How would she prevent Nicole from seeing you? Uh, she would file phony police reports, and she would not turn the Nicole over to me. So when she was supposed to be with me, that's 60% of the time. So if there was an instance where it was your day or your time to have visitation with Nicole, Miriam would somehow block that attempt by you? Uh, it wasn't just blocked for one day. The grandmother from Florida came in and blocked it for maybe... Uh, uh, another four months. How old was Nicole the last time you saw her as a child? In, well, I saw her here in Tampa on September 28th of 1998. That was at the Safe House, the Supervised Visitation Program. The last time she was in with, uh, with me in our home, that was October 7th of 1996. So in October of 96 was the last time you were able to basically have her in your home. And care for her, yes ma'am. And she would have been about two then, two and a half? Uh, going on three, yeah. And then the last time you physically laid eyes on her as a child was in 1998 when she was about four. Uh, four and a half, September 28th ma'am, down, down here at the, state of the supervised visitation program. Did you ever give up on attempting to have a relationship with your daughter? I never gave up one day. Not one day. After her arrest, did you immediately attempt to reunite and have contact with her in August of 2015? Uh, yes, ma'am. I came here. I went over to the jail and I got uh, information about mailing postcards and and so you immediately tried to reinitiate contact. I send her postcards every day. I still do. And I put money into a phone account and canteen for her. And have you maintained regular contact with Nicole since her arrest and since this case has been pending? Almost every day I send her a postcard telling her I love her. We've had visual, uh, audio-visual contact through, uh, and I, 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 for many months I drove over to Tampa to see her through the, uh, the, the TV or the... We, we, I've had holiday contact, and also with her family in Cincinnati. All her family in Cincinnati, we've had regular contact with her. Your family. Your family. My, the paternal family of Nicole's in Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky. We've all had regular contact with her since, yes. Since this case began. Yes, ma'am. And as far as that goes, Nicole also did not have contact with any of your family from 1998 until her arrest in 2015. That's true, ma'am. We were all blocked from having access to her. If I can have a moment? Yes. We can approach briefly. Yes. No other questions? Crossings. Cross examination. 
Mr. Nachman, so to clarify, you had no communication with Nicole, your daughter, between the age of four and a half and 21 when she was arrested for this offense, correct? That would be correct, ma'am. And to clarify a couple other things about some of the things you said, you've actually previously said that there was no conflict between you and Miriam Deans, correct? We had no conflict, ma'am. And our there was no war between you and Miriam Deans, right? In our family system, Mom, Miriam, Dad, Ron, and our daughter, Nicole, we had no conflict. But I'm asking no between you and Miriam, you've previously said that there was no conflict between you and her, correct? In our family system, we had no conflict, ma'am. And Mr. Nachman, it's accurate that you have another child that you haven't had any contact with since she was six years old, correct? Is that correct? I have a sole custody of one child, another child. But you've That's had right. no contact with her since she was six years old, correct? It's a yes or no question. Uh, that would be true. Judge, may I have one moment? Yes. Nothing further. Redirect. No questions. May he be excused at this time by the defense? Subject to a proffer at a later time. All right, then uh, I'll, uh, you may step down uh, as a witness this time, um, but you're not released as a witness technically. Okay. And I'll ask the defense to call your next witness. Judge, I'll call Laura Hessemer. Laura, what's the last name? Hessemer. Hessemer. Ms. Hessemer, good afternoon and welcome. You'll come forward to be sworn wherever you're comfortable. If you'll face me and raise your right hand, please. Thank you. Do you swear or affirm any testimony you give in this case will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. All right, thank you. If you'll follow the bailiff to the ramp that leads up to the witness chair, please watch your step. When you get to the chair, go ahead and have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. That microphone is adjustable. Okay. Tell us your name. Laura Hessemer. Can you spell your last name for the court reporter? H-E-S-S-E-M-E-R. Ms. Hessemer, where do you currently live? Gainesville, Florida. Did you at some point attend Florida State University? Yes. What, from what time period? Tell me the year span you were there. From 2014 until 2016. At some point, did you meet Nicole Nachman? Yes. Where did you meet her? It was the first class of the first semester. What year, if you remember? It was the spring of 2017, or 2015, sorry. Okay. And what class was that that you met her in? History. Did you become friends at some point with Nicole? Yes. Did she have any other friends at FSU besides you? My own friends. So she didn't have any of her own friends, but she became friends with your friends? Correct. Did you ever go to her dorm or know where she lived in that spring semester of 2015? I went to the dorm building, never inside her dorm bedroom. 
at any point during that spring of 2015, other than your friends who you introduced her to, did you ever meet any of her college roommates or study buddies or anything like that of Nicole? No, I was a study buddy. How did Nicole dress when she was in college? She dressed in blue jeans, usually a t-shirt with a old windbreaker jacket. Now the jacket, would she wear it like if it's cold outside and it's December or did she wear it year round? All year round, every day. FSU's obviously in Florida. Yes. Um, I'm assuming it's not too much cooler than let's say Tampa. Not by much. And she would wear this heavy jacket even in the summer months or in the spring when it was hot? Correct. It would become very smelly. Did you also see Nicole with weights on her wrists? Yes. And what were those for? She said it to work out to lose weight. Her mother wanted her to lose weight. Would you also observe times when Nicole wanted to run or run the track at night? I did not witness it, but she told me when Don't she... Don't tell me what she told you. Okay, sorry. So you never physically saw her running on the track at night? Not physically. Are you aware of at some point Nicole changing her grades? Aware of it, yes. And when do you believe that happened? After you met her in spring of 2015? summer, kind of what time period did that occur, if you remember? I remember it was after a semester. I can't remember what year that was. What was Nicole's major when you first met her? I don't remember that. Does history sound right? She wanted to... She wanted it to be history, and that's what she was going for until her mother made her change it. And what did Nicole change her major to? I don't remember. But I do remember her mom forced her to go into ROTC. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, ask another question. Now, as you mentioned the smelly jacket um, that Nicole wore all the time. Can you describe for the jury Nicole's overall hygiene while you knew her or were friends with her? She had a very strong odor for the longest time. I thought it was because she didn't shower, but it turns out she did not wear deodorant. But whenever she did smell, I would wash her jacket and I would have her go take a shower. What is your opinion as to whether after you met Nicole in college, she was capable of caring for herself, like bathing, laundry, those kinds of things? Say that again? What is your opinion as to whether you believe at the time you knew Nicole in college, whether she was able or capable of caring for herself, Just like her hygiene? Hold on. I'm going to object to you for giving her opinion. I'm going to sustain that. What did you observe about whether she could bathe or care for herself or wash her clothes? That was after a while of hanging out, studying, and 
we became better friends that I realized um, she wasn't taking care of herself. Did you ever observe instances where Nicole had a poor self-image of herself? For example, at a pool? Yes. Tell me about that. A bunch of our friends, there's a huge gym at Florida State University. We would go work out or we would go swimming and all of us went to the pool one day and we asked Nicole to join us, but she refused to because she didn't like her image in a swimsuit. Do you know about what time period that would have been in relation to when you met her? The first semester or after the first semester? That would be after the first semester. Did Nicole ever have a boyfriend while you knew her or any type of meaningful relationship like that? No. In the summer of 2015, did you see signs that Nicole Nachman was exhibiting as far as being depressed or, or just kind of looking depressed? We weren't really hanging out during the summers because she would be at home and I would be back in Tallahassee, but we were together again for um, the spring and fall semesters. And did at some point you start to see observations that Nicole may have been depressed or looked depressed? Not really, but I could tell that she, um, she did not want to go back home in fear of her mom. So she wasn't excited like some kids are to go home on summer break or spring break or holidays or things. The week of her arrest, um, did you speak to Nicole? No. Did you speak to her the week leading up? possibly that Monday before? Yes. And was there a discussion about LASIK surgery? Yes. And did you get the impression Nicole was scared about getting the LASIK surgery? Yes. I want to ask you about Nicole's interest in Elsa and the movie Frozen. Can you tell the jury a little bit about that? She has, she had a um, imaginative mind. She loved to draw, she loved to write stories. However, I, she 
does like horror, so she wrote a lot of fiction horror stories with Frozen Elsa with another character from a different movie. And she would always pair them up together. What about her obsession with like material things related to Elsa? Dyeing her hair, costumes, things like that. She did dye her hair. She wanted her hair to be like Elsa's. But it got so blonde, I told her she can't go further because it would actually break her hair. Um, she told me her friends helped her with dyeing her hair, but that was when I said, I'm not aware of you having any other friends besides me. And she also actually stitched by hand a whole Elsa outfit so she would wear during Halloween. The stories that you mentioned a moment ago that Nicole liked as far as Elsa, it, it involved things like turning things into ice. Correct. you talked to Nicole that Monday about the LASIK surgery. Did you all at some point have another communication with her? Yes. And what was that communication about? There were three phone calls. One was about the LASIK eye surgery. The second one was about Laura, I needed to get drugs. The third one was about trying to get a job in Tallahassee with me. And so let's break those up a little future. bit. You told us first about the first one on Monday, you think, about the LASIK. Correct. And then at some point, do you remember which week the call where Nicole called you and asked you about drugs was? I believe the Wednesday. And so we're clear, this is the week before school is about to start. Yes. And the phone call about drugs, had Nicole ever used drugs in your presence before? No. Had you ever seen her buy drugs before? No. Had she ever talked to you about using drugs ever in her life? Only to lose weight. Okay, but not as far as the type of drug she was calling you for? Correct. And you believe that was Wednesday, the week before classes were to start on that Monday? Yes. Did you have a moment? Nachman's arrest, you uh, turned over, I guess, some property that you may have had of hers. Is that correct? Yes. I'm going to show you what's been introduced as defense exhibit 1N, and you can look at that screen right there. And is this the book 
or one of the books within Nicole's property that she turned over to law enforcement? Yes. And this is basically a children's book about the movie Frozen? Yes. originally met in class together, correct? Correct. And one of the things that kind of connected you to was a cartoon that she was drawing that was something that you were also interested in. Correct. And during your friendship together, you all studied together, is that correct? Correct. Nicole attended classes during your time knowing her, correct? Correct. Um, and her mom, there were times when you overheard conversations or at least could tell that she was on the phone with her mom at times, correct? Correct. And there was never any yelling or screaming. Is that yes? Yes. There was no screaming. You talked about, you said at one point that she was in fear of her mom. One of the things she was in fear of was disappointing her mother. Is that right? Correct. And she was in fear of her mom disapproving of things she did, right? Correct. Her mom financially supported her. Is that correct? Yes. She would regularly send her money. Yes. And Nicole relied on that money, correct? Yes. Whenever Nicole broke or lost something, her mom would be the one to fix it. Or pay for object if I can approach? Yeah. All right, Ms. Hesmer. Ms. Hersey asked you about some phone conversations that you had with Ms. Uh, Nachtman in the week of the offenses that we're here for today. Yes. And on one of those conversations that you had, the well, let me ask you this. Towards the end of that week, was there an arrangement for Ms. Nachtman to come to Brandon and help you pack up your stuff to go back to school? Yes. And that didn't happen, is that correct? Yes. And do you recall a conversation that you had with Ms. Nachtman on the phone where she said thank you for having been a friend to her? Yes. I believe you started to say this earlier, but during the part of the time that you knew Ms. Nachtman, she was enrolled in ROTC, is that correct? Yes. And what was the ROTC program? It was the Air Force, I believe, or Navy ROTC at um, FSU. She was in it for a short period of time. You indicated earlier that her mom did not want her to be a history major and wanted her to change her major. Is that correct? Yes. Isn't that because her mom did not believe that that would have been a fruitful or productive major going forward in life? Yes. May I just have one moment, Judge? Yes. Thank you. Nothing further. Redirect. Ms. Hestimer, your understanding of why Nicole wore weights ran all the time and needed to lose weight was because of her mother, correct? Yes. And it's your uh, understanding that Nicole did her best in that arena, it just wasn't enough for her mom? Yes. Nicole Nachman expressed that she feared her mother. Judge, I'm going to object to leading. Rephrase. Did Nicole ever express to you that she feared getting in trouble or feared her mother when she got in trouble? Yes. 
Was your understanding as the reason Nicole Nachman changed her grades again was fear of her mother finding out? I'm going to object to ask an answer. Yes. Hold, hold, okay. uh, just, if there's an objection, just hold on okay. on the answer. I'm sorry. Um, let me just... I'll, I'll allow it. Your answer was yes? Yes. The phone call that Nicole made to you the week before school started, or really what ends up being the week she was arrested, that said, thank you for being a friend. When was that phone call? After the drugs or before? After. And just so the jury's clear, were you ever able to get her any drugs or even know where to send her? No. And when she asked you that question, did that surprise you? Yes. As you stated earlier, she had never really discussed drugs with you before. Yes. Had never even given you an inclination that she used drugs or associated with anybody who did drugs. Correct. One moment. Excuses a witness at this time. Okay, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, jury, we're going to go ahead and take our afternoon break now. Um, it'll be about a 10 15 minute break. Please do not discuss the case amongst yourselves or with anyone else. Please do not do any research related to the case and please avoid any exposure to the case outside of the courtroom. All rise for the jury. Jury section, everyone may be seated. That was three of the five, I believe. No, but so you only have two left? Three. Oh, you have three left? Three. Okay, I, I thought you said you had five witnesses. Well, I kept saying six, but... All right, all right. The math. All right, and, and, and just because these, these um, objections will, we've discussed, and I just want to clarify a couple of things, and that is that... Statements about her mental, um, under the exception, those can be offered for the truth of the matter asserted. Under 90.803, paragraph 3, then existing mental, emotional, or physical condition. We had a lot of argument here about whether they were offered for the truth of the matter asserted, and I thought the defense was arguing to me that they were not being offered for the truth of the matter asserted, which would exclude them from the definition of hearsay. However, if they are being offered for the truth of the matter asserted, they are hearsay. But then there are exceptions like 98033, which specifically allows a statement of the declarant. So if the declarant is Nicole Dotman, if it's her statement, she's the declarant. Then existing state of mind, emotion or physical sensation, including a statement of intent, plan, motive, design, mental feeling, pain or bodily health when such evidence is offered to 
either prove the declarant's state of mind and motion on physical sensation at the time or at any other time when such state is an issue in the action. So that's where I think we need to concentrate on if any issues come up as to whether they're hearsay. So I was scared of my mother when or what I did. That's where we need to focus. Now, another an objection was made to the state asking this last witness about things, and the state said their statements of Miss Notman. And the defense response was that the exception is statements against interest, and that is not the case in Florida. Uh, they don't have to be against interest. So I'm not going to sustain any objections that, uh, as to hearsay because they are statements of Ms. Notchman, but they, Notman, but they are not offered um, against interest. And um, that's clear in the rules. Go ahead and take a break, and then we'll pick up where we left off.